If anybody asking, we're good. Once again, this is your host, the man with the plan, Asthmatic Ass Tech, Chicano Thanos in the building, your boy Mario Caballero, and this is the Puro Caballero Show. We are on the 14th of January. It is Monday. How are you? How's it going? Hope all is well. And just an update, this is episode 44. Getting up there, um, planning on getting everything up and settled by episode 50, get a new little logo, uh, shout out to homie Mark, we're going to be working on that sometime soon, and yeah, website, the socials are kind of half-assed, so got to get that all fixed out, um, but yeah, y'all know me, y'all know my laziness, so that's the that's the challenge as always, yeah, but that was Bad Bunny, Stamos Bien, in the intro, had to give him a nice shout out, um, saw that he's on the new Coachella lineup for 2019, so we'll get into that a little bit later, because uh, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about there in the, the world of music, but it's been a minute, it's been uh, it's been a few weeks, I've had a little bit of a, of a head flu, head cold or whatever, um, for a few weeks, so my voice wasn't necessarily there, and then, yeah, add to me being lazy, so, boom, but we're back, and we're getting it back and rolling, trying to get back into the, uh, into the groove here for 2019, it's January, um, uh, so yeah, last time we spoke, man, spent the holidays back at home, flew up to NorCal, uh, spent the time up in, like, the Stockton area, Riverbank, Escalon, Lodi, Tracy, that whole area, 209, pretty much it was nice got to see a lot of the family got to see some family i hadn't seen in a while my aunt who lives in san diego brought her two kids up and uh she just uh gave birth about nine months ago i want to say so i have a new baby cousin um so shout out to uh, baby andrew and uh his older sister sophia oh my goodness sophia is amazing this little this little girl is gonna be a prodigy already she's like two and a half years old and she's speaking three languages. So her mom, my aunt, is Mexican. Her dad is Taiwanese. And both the parents met um, while they were in med school. Not just any med school. Motherfucking Harvard med school. So, like, the freaking Q score is going to be ridiculous with this one. Like, she is like so smart and just with it. Like, for a two-and-a-half-year-old, already speaks better Spanish than I do. I'm like, Tim. That's embarrassing. This freaking little uh, child going to put you in your place. <laughs> More deeper conversations with my grandma than I do sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. That's a problem for me. But now nah, she's amazing. She's uh, speaking, I think she's, she understands Mandarin. Spanish is her best language, and then English, I think, is her second one, um, in my opinion. So I think like they're, um, the person who takes care of her most often, like babysits her, is, like, also speaks a lot of Spanish to her. So... Yeah, so she's uh, she might be trilingual. We'll see, and uh, but it was good to see good to see them too. Um, their little cousins or their little cousin, my other cousin too. Um, 
freaking uh um <laughs> I was also there my uncle's uh, my uncle's kid and now I'm freaking blinking and I don't know why um Alexander cuz there's two A's Andrew and Alexander Alexander he's uh he's grown man he's a little little munchkin he's got uh, the same big cabeza cabezón como my uh my uncle's Man, <laughs> the apple don't fall far from the tree, though. <laughs> it looks like like the the weight of his head is like more than his body. <laughs> it looks like one of those cartoons. Like how you draw it, where like the head's all over big, oversized and shit like that. No, oh, man, he's a awesome little baby, little kid, just rumbling, tumbling everywhere. He's got uh, goes crazy to Baby Shark, and he's always watching the what was it, the Mickey Mouse Playhouse the show that's on. Uh, what is it? Not a Disney Channel. It's on Disney Channel. Yeah. So he watches that all the time. So I had a good time playing with them. Them, And, uh, yeah. Um, got to hang out. That was on my mom's side of the family. Got to hang out with my dad's side quite a bit, too. Shout out to all my cousins. The Carrillos. The Martinez's. And uh, all the rest. The Sandoval's. The Rodriguez's. I think, Yeah. And the Caballeros, too. The other Caballeros, because I got uh, an uncle who has a baby girl now, too. <clears throat> so it was nice to see all of them. Got to hang out. And it was uh, a good time. Man, the food is ridiculous. Every time I go back home, I put on weight. Put on, like, 5 to 10 pounds this time. So I was home. I was only going to be home for about, like, a couple days, like, three four days. But ended up extending it out to, like, 10 days. So, man, stayed there longer than uh than anticipated and it was uh yeah packing on the pounds you had tamales pozole no menudo this year but usually it's like pozole or tamales because it's like hard as hell to make either of them so um yeah man i'm blessed this year blessed like crazy and my mom i love the way she cooks too but it's like it's heavy food man there's like no there's no let up man your stomach is just getting taken like 12 rounds with like freaking George Foreman in his prime or something, man. Just beating your guts up, man. Just, ugh. It was, uh... But it tastes so good, man. It tastes so good. Everything's just so heavy. Oh, man. Great times, great times. Love my family. And so that was nice. Um, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. Last week, uh, I was able to go on The prices Right with some buddies of mine. Shout out to VJ. Shout out to Joey, too. Um, I'm not sure how much I could talk about this since the episode is not going to air yet. So you should uh, tune in to CBS on, mm, what is it, um, March 1st is the air date that they told us for our show. So we'll see how that happens. And uh, basically the crew that we were with, there's like 17 of us, 17, 18 of us. And they sat us right behind where the contestants come up, right? And so we're going to... We were going crazy. It was going dumb. I was going dumb like crazy. I was like mouthing out numbers and putting up hand signs and I don't even know what the hell. I was freaking tripping on someone else's set or some shit like that. I don't even fucking know what I was doing. It was like all over the place. But it was really fun, man. Drew Carey was a real hospitable guy and funny, real personable. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, from his show, kind of the comedy and like the style that he is, but he's a, he was a good host. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool to see, like, the other side of the projection, to see everybody, all the stagehands and 
all the different people queuing stuff up and it's kind of cool to see it from that end and that angle um but yeah i will i will say well somebody from my crew was able to go up and play and was pretty successful and that's all i will say so i'll uh just say tune in man tune in i guess technically i didn't sign an nda so i don't know but uh the person who who won was close close friend so it was very very cool um uh, to see that it was it was fun as hell so yeah we'll uh we were really close to uh uh our friend went in the showcase and all of us were gonna jump up on the stage and just go crazy me vj had it all routined out man this dude was gonna hit the schmies and i was gonna freaking start going like gas breaking and dipping on these hoes it's just trying to see if we can get get on a meme or some shit that would be that would have been funny like the closing credits <laughs> the price is right but um yeah, that shit was fun. That shit was real fun. Uh, I don't honestly want to go again because uh, it was hilarious, man. <laughs> a couple of people almost screwed up uh, the person who got to go up and play. Mm, almost screwed him up a couple of times on some of the pricing games. <laughs> it's like it was one of the first games was like, all right, you got $2. There's just like five items. You got to guess the prices. At the end of it, they're going to calculate the differences from the actual prices. And if it's within $2 difference, you win. If it's outside of it, you lose. And so I think, like, on the first, the first thing was, like, a cup of soup. And the person, the contestant who got on was, like, like clueless. She's, like, looked over at one of the, the crew, people in the crew, and was just, like, $1.25 for, like, a, a cup of soup. And I was, like, damn, it's too much. Drew hits the thing. It's, like, eh, $0.35. Cents, and we're, like, oh, shit. There's 90 cents out the window right there on the first one, but four other good guesses, and she got it. So that was dope. That was dope to see. So tune in, man. Shout out to CBS. Yeah, that was, uh, was fun as hell. I need to go back. Bring it up. If, I think they say if you bring a large crew, there's almost like 20, around 20 people. There's like almost a guarantee that you want to, somebody's going to be picked. So yeah, man, let's go. We got to figure this out. All right, man. We're going to move on to the music world here. Talking about the one, the only Cochise out there in Indio. Yeah, Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. It's going down again in uh, April. So it's my uh, birth month. So you haven't gone in like three years, but this year's lineup looks ridiculous. Crazy, 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 crazy. Um, honest to God, it's like really stacked. Like I, I, I enjoy a lot of the third line artists more than I do the headliners or the second line. It's like crazy, like how good it is. Um, let me give you some highlights, some people that I'm excited for. Let's look through here. Friday, um, first day, Childish Gambino's closing out the day, which all respect to Gambino. I personally, I'm not going to say I'm not a fan, but I'm just like not as like in depth with his music. So if there's somebody else that's going to be playing opposite him, I might go see them just because of how it is. Or what kind of vibe I'm at or who I'm with. It's it's, it's like, it's kind of like you just got to be there in the moment to make the decision. What else we got? Janelle Monae, 1975. DJ Snake, seen him before. Diplo. Rufus Dussault, that would be dope to see. Very chilled out. Uh, groovy stuff. Blackpink. 
Anderson Pack and the Free Nationals. Now that is insane. So last time I saw that fool, it was like one of my favorite set for the whole weekend. When I saw him play in 2016, he just had an album drop last year. So oh man, I um yeah, I think he's gonna do big, man. I think Pack is uh is the wave, man. He's just uh that one soul like uh focus and shining beaming light of uh you know the uh the music industry and so he's uh he's been killing it let's see casey musgrave juice world and a lot of people hyped on him uh lmi uh she's dope um get all up in your feelings um Los Tucanes de Tijuana, now that is going to be crazy because this freaking full-on banda show is going to be bust, <laughs> busting out in Coachella. And they'll probably do them dirty and have them play at, like, noon on the first day when, like, the least amount of people are there and shit. You make all the paisas come early like we fucking uh, don't really want to do if at all possible. Oh, but, man, La Chona's going to be going off. I really hope they give them a good time. So last second, stop by and fucking dance with all my paisas. I've seen so many fucking memes online. It's just fucking hilarious on Twitter. Just like, day one Coachella fit. And so it's like this freaking little, um, <laughs> freaking uh, Indio Paisa has got like a fucking, um, you know, black uh, cowboy hat. It's got the belt buckle and Armani jeans on and the fucking big ass leather boots and shit on. <laughs> Holding a fucking like uh, Tecate or some shit in his hand. Oh fuck yeah! It's uh, it's gonna be that's gonna be the wave. So that's gonna be crazy, man. And like, honest to God, that was like the the funniest thing when I saw that. But uh, let's see who else we got: Fisher, Jaden Smith, um, Nina Kravitz. Nina was very cool the last time I saw her. Twenty fourteen, Coachella. Yeah, it's been a been a been a while. Been a while, man. I'm getting fucking old. Jesus. Um, let's see, Rosalia, Gorgon City, dope. Dope, 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 definitely gonna see them, if I go, I'm trying to go, this is what I'm planning on, um, on the first hit, don't know, Kunga Ben, Keizo, Kaizo, Vision, cool, King Princess, no idea, let's see here, oh, now I'm just gonna start listing people I know, cause this gets the little text, Chris Lake, very cool, Jaws, went to my school for a minute, very cool, uh, before he dropped out and became a DJ, good decision by him. Let's see, Hostess eighty two is gonna be there. That'll be big. Uh, Tr Whack, that's gonna be a, um a vibe. And Nor Impure, that'll be cool. JPEG Mafia, another SoundCloud rapper jumping up out of the abyss this year. Let's see. Camel Fett, Anna Luna, ooh, okay, okay, Anna Luna, so I thought it was Riff Raff, but it's Hooray for the Riff Raff, that's a different group altogether, <laughs> I was like, damn, Riff Raff playing, that'd be crazy, uh, shout out to just the different crazy band names, Ross from Friends, like, Steel Woozy, like, okay, oh, Tomasa Del Real, um, she was, uh, like, uh, <clears throat> Neo Perreo type of artist, Saw on a, a lineup for a show, so free show. Should have went to it a couple months, like uh, two months ago, something like that. Anyway, anyway, all right. That's day one. Let's see day two. Tim Paula's headlining, Solange, 
Noel's gonna be there. He could he? I gotta see him. He's. I saw him last year. That was one of my favorite sets of the year, and he was in such a good like place. I think physically, spiritually, emotionally. And yeah, hopefully that continues. Uh, I know he had the kids. He goes tour with Kanye. But, uh, I hope he he's still in that same mood when, if, when he's performing there. Um, I think I've, I don't know if I've told this on this show, but I've talked to I've told some friends before. Last time I was at Coachella was 2014, or last time I was he was performing the same weekend I was there was in 2014, and by that point this was kind of like in my in my opinion as a fan like kind of like the the dark times for me being a Kid Cudi fan because I wasn't as juiced for the work that he was putting out at that time because it's like right around this like rock album and I don't know I don't know him personally like that. I'm just a, I was just, I'm just a big fan, so I would see certain things, and I can kind of tell that he might have been like on some dealing with some substance abuse and depression issues, because uh, I think he's in the, he's come out and talked about it too. But I think at that point it was kind of like iffy in terms of what I was gonna get, especially because two years prior I had tried to see him at like like a um, Rock the Bells or one of those shows, um, one of those now defunct like hip hop touring shows. And he came out drunk as hell and was like slurring his words and like forgetting his lyrics and it was it was just not fun, man. It put a bad taste in my mouth and so I was just like, you know what? Since uh, this was a disappointment the first time, I'm gonna pass on him this time just to go see another act or something like go see a house act or some shit, techno act. And all my friends who went to go see him ended up coming back reporting to me like, dude, he wasn't he was awesome, he was great. And so I had a lot of FOMO. Because of that, um, but since I saw him last time, I'm I'm back on the fully back on the bandwagon. His last album was really good. Our Kids See Ghost was solid too. Um, had, that one has some jams on it. Obviously, a lot of problematic issues with uh, one of his mentors, in my opinion. But you know, no one's perfect. It is what it is, and we could all um, even for like your enemies. You could, it's it's always better to wish the best for them. Uh, than it is to wish for their downfall because if you uh, wish root for their downfall, it's only going to create more tension and drama, and uh, that's going to reverberate or what? Well, is that a word? Reverberate? I don't think so. Um, anyway, it'll bounce back and come back towards you. That uh, that that type of energy. So um, yeah, I guess it's always better to try to get somebody to come onto your side than it is to just destroy them. Uh, in my opinion, but, you know, I guess teach their own. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at with Yeezy. It's just like, dude, how do we get this guy back? Cause he's got some self-described mental problems to deal with. So, I don't know. It's a whole other bag of worms there. But, anyway, kick goody, yeah. Kick goody. So, uh, let's, let's hope Cutters is good this time. Oh, Weezer going to be there. I'm not the, that's not my type of jam, but. Teach their own. See if it's twins. J Bobbing. That'd be cool. Gonna see a lot of Latinos there. Let's see. Bass Nectar gonna go hard. Oh, who else we got? Wiz Khalifa in line three. That will be a crazy one. So let's see who he brings out. I hope he brings Spit out, man. The freaking currency and Wiz been working in the studio a lot recently. Maybe he'll bring out some of the, the Bay artists or some shit he fucks with since Burner's on his label. And, uh, yeah, he's worked with the fucking shit ton of people by now. But Wiz was cool, man. I saw Wiz last year, too, at that same thing. The, uh, um, 
Smokers Club tour that they had out here in Long Beach. That was really fun, man. I got to see him do cushion uh, OJ. That was a throwback, man. He brought out Spitta to to do um, do some songs too that they have on there. So I was like fucking hyped, like eighteen year old me, nineteen year old me. It was just like so juiced because this that was that era, bro. That's that fucking era. Oh, Mac DeMarco. Oh man. Uh, yeah, shout out to my good friend Jonathan Beach, um, ex roommate in college. Uh, hope everything's good with you. He put me on to Mac DeMarco like a long time ago, maybe about like four or five years ago. Damn, yeah, it's probably like five years ago, six years ago. Man, I'm old. Jesus. Anyway, put me on to Mac. Mac's cool. He's that that uh, chilled out like kind of stoner vibe, like rock music, like real slow pace and just like mellow like on the beach type of stuff like some dude who's like just you know chilling smoking a stogie and drinking a beer like watching the sunset type music that's what that's what i envision with mac demarco he's cool though i might see him shake west mo bamba I'll, I'll be going off going off like crazy uh let's see bob moses get you that chill ass uh fucking house music Virgil Abloh, oh, that's going to be like, he's a designer, ain't he? Huh, that's interesting. Well, I got a lot of friends. Let's see what happens. Now, I'm just skipping around. There's so many damn acts that are on here. Selection, shout out to the, the DJ Crew Selection. Um, Sir, going to be there. Sir, talented the guy. Um, also part of Top Dog Entertainment. Smino. Smino going to do things. Look at this. Uh, Idris Elba. That's a cool fucking uh, thing to have. Freaking uh, Stringer Bell is going to be behind the decks DJing, man. And for people who don't know, he's actually like a UK house DJ uh, since he's from the UK. And he, he's, do, he's been doing a lot more sets like in the last few years. Um, some of them are up online and stuff on YouTube. You can go Google that stuff. But yeah, man, he's uh, he's pretty nice with the funky house stuff. So I might try to see him. That would be cool. That'd be kind of a jam. Let's see who else. M -m -m Murder beats. Hopefully, a lot of hip hop acts come through for that. That would be fun. Lee Burge. Um, okay. Do some uh, that begging shit. It's that shit that I want to get hyped for back in the day. I don't know if I like my body's for for that. <laughs> like, can deal with, can handle that stuff. I just like put myself through torture, man. Just like. Uh, going out and dancing and having a good time out there at the, these shows let's see let's see if there's any cool looking names that are on here um turnover arizona serpent with feet well that's a good one super organism that's a good name um yeah i don't know Moving on, let's go to Sunday. Closing that day out will be Ariana Grande, so I will probably not be there. Um, you know, hope everything she's good with her. I wish her all the best. I know she's had a fucking whirlwind year. Um, some of that is, you know, on her. Some of that is just life circumstances, and she's living in that crazy social media bubble. So, like, uh, you know. I can't even begin to, like, connect myself to what that must be like. Um, but, yeah, man, it is what it is. It's, uh, it's the good and the bad of uh, being in that position. So, 
I guess her numbers have still been doing crazy, crazy good, and she's still got her fucking stands out everywhere. But, uh, yeah, she's playing. <clears throat> Let's see. I've actually been in her presence, like, one time, that time that she was dating Mac Miller back um, when he performed at that MTV show. She was just in the crowd chilling probably about, like, five, ten feet away from me. And I didn't know who she was just because she had a hoodie and, like, bagel glasses on. But I, I, at the time, I, like, saw and I looked, and I was like, this is kind of weird that somebody's wearing big old glasses at night right in the front of the crowd. But at the same time, like, afterwards, like, this was when they figured it out. But whatever. I wouldn't have done nothing crazy. But people would have gone crazy if they would have known it was her. So it was, uh, people suck sometimes, man. <laughs> it is what it is. It's, uh, congratulations to her. She got a headlining slot there. Hopefully she's still good and can uh, keep that through. Moving on, though. Uh, Khalid, that's, uh, get you some R&B. Slow bump and grind music. It'd be cool. Feeling. Zed gonna be performing. Let's see if Clarity gets dropped. Freaking. It's, when I saw him, that's, like, that song that just, like, came out. And I'm fucking dating the crap out of myself. Gasoffelstein. Now I might see him. Cause he's got that like fucking. Uh, he's got that like uh, music that you would hear in action thriller. But this is like the 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 sequence where somebody's like training or fucking, you know, traveling through a fucking big ass city or some shit, chasing a bad guy down. Like that type of like background music is like his vibe it's just like that fucking just hard just energy some of it's kind of like dark energy a little bit where it's just like boom boom dun, dun, boom boom and you're just like fucking going going with it man so he's he's dope and i didn't really like get put onto his music until maybe a few years ago and uh yeah when uh i, I passed on seeing him just because i didn't know him way back in the day actually two cz i think which is like on hindsight a very bad decision um considering the type of music that I can join now versus then. But whatever, man. It is what it is. Because uh, he doesn't play too much in North America. This is from uh, from Europe. So that'd be cool. Try to uh, hit that up. Probably Umatent. That'd be dope. Bad Bunny, baby. That's uh, who you heard in the intro. He's going to be playing Sunday. So it's, uh, a lot of big Latino acts are, are playing this year. And so I think that's uh, that's one of the big headlines. I think it was like... A lot of good house acts and a lot of big Latino artists, in my opinion. Those are the two main takeaways that I saw from this uh, this um, this lineup. But yeah, moving on. Still Dylan Francis is going to be playing. Dylan Francis has had like four incarnations of like his style. It's just kind of cool. Let's see, Church is going to be playing. YG 400. You're going to be stopped by. That would be cool. Um, go dumb to YG. See all the ratchet bitches turn up. Let's see, Sir SD, which is alter ego for Eric Prince. So that'd be cool. I've seen Prince play once. And uh, my boy Alan, he's a huge uh, big fan of him. So uh, I know he was uh, getting a hard on when he saw that his name up here. Let's see, Playboy Cardi, going to get you some more um, more of that rap vibe. Her back to more uh, R&B music. Uh, Blood Orange, yeah, emo band stuff. Uh, Pusha T is like that hardcore cocaine rap 
type shit. Pusha is fucking amazing. I'm a big Pusha T fan. And, uh, yeah, I just want to hear him just slander um, Drake some more on stage. Uh, hopefully we get more You're Hiding a Child lyrics, which would be cool. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's amazing. One half of the clips. And I'm, uh, if you know me, I'm a big clips fan back in the day, man. Uh, um, yeah, everybody. Uh, freaking, uh, you got it for cheap. Volume one, two, and three or whatever. It's, uh, Hell Hath No Fury. Yeah, there's so many, uh, so many good ass albums that they made. Till the casket drop was the last one they got. Lord Willen obviously is their uh, more popular one. Their mixtapes were dope too, man. Road to Till the Casket Drops is cool. Reup Gang uh, um, mixtapes. It was good, man. It was good. Good shit. What was the fucking mixtapes also? Mm. Yeah, Hell Hath No Fairy. Yeah, just all that we got it for cheap, Volume 1, 2, and 3. All that shit was fucking dope. When they were in the... They had some label issues. So they could only really, like, be putting out, like, mixtapes. Nothing super official they could, like, take and do all that stuff off of. Yeah, they had they had some label trouble back in the day. But yeah, Push is doing his thing, man. Now y'all part of good music. Another member of the crew who's, uh, you know, been on Kanye's side that uh, I support and enjoy, but... Mm, I don't know. It's weird. You can't give up on somebody you love and who has given opportunity to you at the same time. But uh, I hope they're they're doing well for him in his corner. But, um, that's a tough thing to kind of navigate. Moving on. Who else we got? Um, this is a great name. I don't know who they are. Unknown Mortal Orchestra. That sounds like it's going to be hard as fuck. Katra Nada, though. Katra is... Uh, one of the uh, DJs I enjoy, I got to see him uh, when his last album dropped. Um, the fuck was it called? Um, I got all the fucking songs playing in my head. It was 99.9%. That's right. That's fucking right. He just came out with like a recent EP and I got a bump. Um, but Keitra, Keitra's always a good time, man. I think he has one of the more legendary boiler room sets that I've ever seen. The one where he did in like Montreal with like, oh my God, like the people who are dancing next to him are just so gone. It's just so funny. It's so damn funny. It's entertaining watching just the crowd, <laughs> seeing them all react. But yeah, I would recommend watching that one. This one's from like 2013, so a long time ago. Um, yeah, who else we got? It says Gucci Gang, but I think they typoed this. I think it's Gucci Mane. <laughs> I was like... Pin people were making uh, some jokes about it. So we're going to get uh, the East Atlanta Santa out there. That'll be dope to see. Man, I've seen like a lot of the Atlanta artists that I fucks with. Most of them, I want to say. Yeah, because I've seen Outkast. Dude, I can't believe I've fucking seen Outkast. That's so amazing. <laughs> I got to see Outkast on their first concert on the reunion tour uh, when they did Coachella that, that year. And... Uh, it was awesome, but it wasn't their best performance, I would say, because it wasn't a Coachella crowd, and under 3,000 was not fully into it, but, yeah, I mean, I've seen 2 Chains, I've seen Future a couple times, um, 
I haven't seen like Ludacris or like T.I. Some of the other artists are from like a little bit back, like 2000s peak, I guess. But um, yeah, I guess that's another one to knock off the list if I go. So Gucci Mane, I ain't seen him. Uh, uh, burp, burp, in the crowd the whole time. Gonna be amazing. See, Sophie Tucker, I saw them play at uh, Cross this last year. That was a fun-ass time, man. Let's see. Who else we got? SOBRBE. Also seen them a couple times. Went to their show at the Novo last December, November? No, not December. It was probably like October, November. And then also they played at the um, Smokers Club Fest tour also. So that was dope. That was dope. And they've uh, they've been putting out more music and stuff like that. So, uh, area in the building. Nightmare gave you some more heavy bass music. Let's see, Tiger Barrymore House. Oh seven. Oh Shake is got some hype because it's uh, worked with Cuddy and Kanye on those albums last year. So we'll see what happens there. Rico Nasty, I gotta tap into Rico Nasty. She's uh getting a lot of. She's on a wave right now. She's been on the come up, and she's been working a lot with Kenny Beats. So I fucks with Kenny Beats Productions. I probably fuck with Rico. I just haven't given her a chance to listen to her. And um, yeah, I'm kind of weird with like my listening habits, but yeah, she's there. Let's see. Oh, uh, Dusky, good time too. Some uh, some good more mu- more house music, and then yeah, Tara Brooks also same thing. Let's see, yeah, and I guess the other names I'm not too familiar with, so it's like whatever. But uh, like I said before, the Latino acts and the house acts I think are pretty solid this year, solid as fuck. So I know I'll probably miss some few, and uh, yeah, we can get into it another time. But yeah, that's that's Cochise. They're they're doing it. The 12th, 13th, and 14th for Weekend 1, and the 19th through the 21st for Weekend 2. And I've got some friends already with Weekend 1 passes, some Weekend 2. For people who don't know, like, the main difference between the two, it's not some, it's not too crazy. But uh, it's uh, the the thing about Weekend 1 is there's, you're the first ones there. Let's see. The camping conditions are a little bit better because uh, the grass hasn't been beaten up by all the thousands of people, you know, stepping on it. Uh, let's see. So yeah, sometimes that's better for like allergy reasons and like dust and stuff like that. Cause it, but dude, by the time it gets to weekend two, it gets beat up the following weekend. They do Stagecoach, which is the country music festival. And I don't know how the fuck they do it. Them dudes must have be like, uh, with like the painter's mask on or something like the whole time. Cause it's like, how are you breathing that stuff in freaking line dancing and getting drunk and all that stuff out in the sun. But teach their own, man. I guess country music is in my jam. Um, yeah, so weekend one, you get more of that, like, you know, it's the, the first, you're the first ones there. You know, you get to see their performances. Um, the thing is, though, is, like, they'll have guests that they'll bring on stage to, like, for different sets, especially a lot of the rap backs. The rap backs and the DJs, they'll, they'll have, like, a lot of people help, um, you know, become guests or whatever. Like, do a song or two, whatever, whatever collapse they have. So if you go weekend one, a lot of times the collabs and the, the guests that they have are different than if you go weekend two. So um, 
sometimes it can be really dramatic and sometimes it'll be just maybe one or two different people different. Um, but I would say it's not super common to see the same guest act on both places. Um, I've had some, you know, there's been some good guests that have stepped on stage. I saw ASAP Rocky. He brought out Kanye West one year when I was there. Uh, I saw Nas do um, the full Illmatic album, Top to Bottom. And when he got to uh, um, uh, Whose World Is This? Uh, the He got to the, to the line of the song, which is like, uh, I want the presidents to represent me. Get money. And the DJ stopped it. Put, ran it back, dropped it again. I want the DJs. Oh, I want the presidents to represent me. Get money. Stopped it. Ran it back. I want the presidents to represent. Get money. I want the presidents to represent me. Get money. And then he dropped dead presidents, and you just hear the piano. Doom, doom, doom. And then on steps Jay Z onto the onto the stage, and all it was fucking epic. I was looking around, going like, motherfucker. Oh shit! I'll tell everybody. He's like, I told you ass. I told you ass. Just because uh, that same year, Solange was also playing, and uh, I didn't. I wasn't at her set, but the word got around the campgrounds that was uh, that Beyonce was there, and so I did the math in my head. Like, if Beyonce's here, that means Jay Z's probably here, and if Jay Z's here, and Nas is playing. Nas is, has his name up there for one of the greatest of all time in terms of uh, lyricists and MCs, rapper, whatever term you want to use. He's He's been in the conversation for a long time. Who else in that conversation? Jay motherfucking Z. So if one dude's going to step up and show out, then, of course, you know, Jay's a little too prideful not to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like motherfucker, you think you're the best? Oh, yeah. What about me? And he just came on, did the set. And it was respectful, and it's like, obviously, they don't have no beef anymore, which is good for, like, I think, just everybody in general, but uh, it was, um, oh, man, it was an amazing moment, man, it was an amazing moment, I was, uh, I had goosebumps and all that stuff, and it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, uh, but yeah, I don't even know, what the fuck was I talking about, um, yeah, um, you see some wild guests, uh, I remember I saw Pharrell play, and he had so many... He had like six people that came on stage with him during his set, something like that. But then the next weekend, he had a completely different group of people who like uh, stepped on stage with him. So like when I saw him, it was like Snoop Dogg, Pusha T was there, I think Rooks Ross was there. Um, what's her name? Um, um, from No Doubt. Um, oh my God, what the hell is her name? Why am I blanking? Uh, let's see. Uh, Gwen Stefani Yeah, Gwen Stefani showed up And uh, There was a whole bunch of other people And then I cannot remember now But it was pretty damn epic, man It was, uh, it was a fun time um, But yeah, it's different from week to week Of who you're gonna get And who's gonna be like the, the guest To step on stage and all that stuff uh, For the most part And so it keeps it surprising but yeah, sometimes if you go weekend one, you can kind of, it's more of a surprise than if you go weekend two. A lot of people pay attention and will watch the same feed and go weekend two. But it's kind of like, for me, that's defeating the purpose of, uh, you know, going there. Um, the other thing, too, is sometimes artists will perform weekend one and then like some shit will pop up or like something happens, they get sick or like, uh, you know, crazy situation and that they don't uh, anticipate and they can't make it weekend two. That's happened a few times also. Or maybe they'll be having controversy. 
Uh, just a heads up, it's raining out here in Southern California, so if you hear little uh, raindrops on my window seal, then uh, that's what that is. Um, I'll have like the sink on in the back room, and the bath in the bathroom, in the background. The back room? I don't got no goddamn back room. It's a goddamn studio apartment. What the hell? Anyway, yeah, that's uh, that should be exciting. And uh, but yeah, I don't know if what would be the best if I should try to go weekend one or two or convince everybody to switch over. Um, but yeah, I gotta talk to some people. I gotta fucking get my funds up too. I, I'm putting the cart before the horse, uh, which I do sometimes. But yeah, I gotta get my funds up, save some money, cause that one looks crazy. I'm pro- I'll, this lineup I've, I haven't been excited for uh, Coachella lineup for a few years and so this one's this one's the best one that I've seen in a minute in my opinion yeah we'll uh, move on switch topics over to the sports world uh, NFL playoffs has been up and running just had the um, what is it divisional round games just yesterday and yeah, it's uh, it's exciting, man. It's freaking NFL season. Let's uh, take a look here. Uh, NFL football scores. Let's go back. We'll, we'll break it down. We'll, we'll tell you who made the playoffs first off. <clears throat> so the teams that made it out of the AFC was Indy. Was the Six seed Houston was the um four seed three seed three seed they were the three seed so Houston hosted Indy in the the wild card round last week and Indy ended up winning twenty one to seven and Deshaun Watson was uh was off that whole game and the Colts played really well I remember um Andrew Luck was just tearing them apart in the first half and. It was kind of frustrating to see because it was like a bunch of times I was watching that I could see Watson had like chances to pick up first downs and he would like force throws into traffic instead of maybe running for it. I don't know if that's not him not trusting his his running abilities quite yet or what have you. Uh, but uh, yeah, he tried to fit some balls into some tight windows and it wasn't working for them. Particularly the one before the first half where he dropped it short to DeAndre Hopkins. And they, they it was like on a fourth down play where it looked like he could have ran for those two yards and then got another four downs to try to score a touchdown because they were in the red zone at that point. And uh, they were trying to make a comeback. But uh, that would have been big for them in that game. And I was at the gym at the time running on the treadmill watching the game, like yelling at the TV. And I had some people with no headphones on in front of me who turned around going like, what the fuck? Who's yelling at the I'm like, oh, run for the first down. Come on, man. What are you doing? Why are you forcing the ball in there? <laughs> like some couple chicks like turn around and are like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, the other game that happened in the AFC was the Chargers, who had the five seed, were playing Baltimore, who had the the four seed. And in Baltimore, the Chargers uh, won that one, 23-17. That was the game where, um, man, Lamar Jackson got shut down. The running game completely got shut down. The Chargers played excellent. Phillip Rivers did his thing, was his normal cocky self. It was like throwing first down markers and stuff like that after runs and yeah, as uh, somebody doesn't like the team, it was frustrating to see, but you know they they deserved it. They earned that. They earned that win. Twenty three seventeen was the final, but it was more lopsided than that because they they let them come back at the end a bit. 
So that was the AFC matchups. In the NFC, we had uh, Seattle on the road against Dallas. I think it was Dallas the um, f- f- four seed. Four seed. And Seattle was the five seed. I think that's how it went. Um, yeah, that's how it went. So Dallas hosted that game. They won 24 to 22. They controlled the ball. Ran it pretty well. In a similar situation, they came back late at the end, but it wasn't enough. That was a weird game because Janikowski got hurt, like, around halftime, and they had just their, like, their punter. It was, like, drop-kicking everything, drop-kicking, like, kickoffs and stuff like that because he was, like, an Aussie rules guy. So they're used to having it, like, the drop-kicks, but uh, as opposed to, like, um, having, like, the back of a quarterback be, like, the holder and, like, switch positions and all that stuff. So it was it was really weird, so. That played a factor a little bit in terms of how the game progressed. So, yeah, that meant uh, Dallas was advancing. It was our first playoff one in a while. And then the other game was the craziest game was the the Philly-Chicago game. Where Philly was the sixth seed, Chicago was the the three seed. 16-15, 16-15, to 15, Philly ended up winning. Everybody wants to talk about the play right at the end of the game. Cody Parkey doinked the field goal off of the left upright, fell down, hit the crossbar, and then fell back into play for a no-good field goal to close the game out. Would have finished it. The ball ended up being tipped there on replay, so it wasn't 100% his fault that that ball was uh, was going out. Now, I had somebody else who was like, arguing with me yesterday about Man, you would have pushed it even farther left if the guy wouldn't have tipped it. And you can't. It's hard for me to say. Like I'm not a kicker, and I don't know those things. But what I do, what I have seen is, what I do know is that sometimes when you when the ball leaves your foot, it it can it can hook or it'll it can push one way or the other um, dramatically, especially in the weather conditions outside of Chicago that their Soldier Field for that night because it was a. Uh, it was kind of cold, and it was um, the football gets hard, and yeah, everyone wants all these excuses or whatever, man. But like, uh, Parky was having trouble during the season. He hit the uprights like a bunch of times during the regular season. So, Bears fans obviously were pissed off like a motherfucker. Just wanted to have that guy's like head on a stake. A lot of people, and a lot of people came out and were defending him and stuff like that. Like man, like uh, and all that, and. I think there's been kind of more of a like a backlash to the to the defense because it's like you know how it is our new generation is like oh man you put him in put yourself in his shoes and all this stuff like that oh we gotta be uh, nice to everybody type stuff and some people are like fuck that man kill like uh, fire his ass man we need a new kicker and all this stuff so it's uh, funny to see but uh, that was a. Uh, a tough one, and then the the legacy of Big Dick Nick Foles uh, kept on growing because that uh, they kind of pulled that one out of nowhere. And uh, back and forth game late it was real surprising. Uh, Trubisky actually made some throws too, and it was like going back and forth in the, in the last uh, last few minutes. And that was a really exciting game as a uh, non partial fan. It was funny as I was watching like. Uh, uh, the early game that that day it was that Sunday, the Chargers Baltimore game at this bar over in Culver City, and it ended up being like a Bears bar. And uh, I was with a friend. We actually left her before the Bears game started, but it was starting to pack up. That place has like uh, open mic 
comedy later that night. So I was thinking of maybe coming back there. But then after seeing the way that game ended, I was like, yeah, not the best comedy crowd. They're pissed off at life and the kicker. And so, yeah, I was like, I'm going to pass on that one. Hard pass. But yeah, that was uh, the wild card round. And here are the games that just happened the last uh, couple of days. So. The big boys came out to play. Top four seeds are now in effect. So we'll start on Saturday. We'll start in the AFC. Um, Indian Kansas City, man. I thought this was going to be a lot closer contest than it was. Kansas City won this one rolling away 31-13, to and it could have been even worse. Um, they really let the Colts kind of come back at the end and just kill clock and take forever to score on those drives at the end. But... Uh, yeah, Vinatieri missing the field goal right before halftime. That was just a buzzkill, man. Missed the PAT also. And it was just like nothing could go right for him. And it's just if Vinatieri's like not happening, he's like the most clutch dude on their team. And it's like it's not a good omen for them. And they just weren't doing nothing on offense. Kansas City was just shutting them down, shutting them down. And they were up 21 nothing in the blink of an eye. And I was like, holy crap. This is going to be a blowout. I was at the gym also on Saturday, and I'm, like, doing sets of freaking cleans. And I do, like, a set, and I look up, and I'm like, oh, shit, 7 nothing. Then he gets the ball back, go 3 and out. Kansas City gets it again. I finish another set, and I'm like, shit, man, it's 14. I kid you not, like, one or two sets later, I look up, and it's 21. I'm like, holy fuck, man. Like, this game's going to be over before I leave the gym. It's crazy. I was like, man, I should watch the second half at home, but goddamn, it might not even be worth it now. So, yeah, they really uh, held on to it, and the uh, rain coming down a little harder now. A little background noise. Make all y'all go to sleep. Stay the fuck up. Come on, baby. We got to keep it wrong. So, yeah, Kansas City, man, they look freaking tough. Mahomes is doing his thing. Damian Williams is filling in nicely for them after Cream Hunt uh, got let go from the team. And their defense really stepped up. They were just dominating them inside. Um, Andrew Luck was under pressure all game, and it was uh, kind of a dominant performance on their part. Colts couldn't get anything working, and not until like the pretty much Kansas City like let them, let them get everything underneath, and just uh, bleed the clock dry. So that's kind of how that went. So yeah, Kansas City moves on to the um, division round. Well, they'll be facing the New England Patriots. So the game yesterday was 41-28, to 28, final score, but it was a lot worse than that, man. It was – it's like the, the Patriots are playing possum with, like, the rest of the NFL for the whole regular season because Brady looked ridiculous. They brushed out Gronk. They got, like, an A game from Julian Edelman, who was breaking tackles and running people over. Dang, is that a, is that a little hail coming down? Looks like it might be a little haily. Damn, Okay. But, yeah, man, Char- uh, Chargers just did not come out to play. And uh, so it was the 10 a.m. start, uh, West Coast time start. So uh, the 1 o'clock East time, East Coast games are, like, really tough for a lot of these uh, West Coast teams to travel out there, especially for a team that were, like, it was in L.A., traveled all the way to Baltimore, back to L.A. for a week of practice, traveled all the way back to New England again. So they're just zigzagging across the U.S., and that's a lot of uh, – travel miles and stuff like that. So sometimes that could uh, affect how your team plays. And they did not get out to a good start at all, too, which um, 
both these teams, I quite frankly just do not enjoy seeing them play in the playoffs at all. Cause I just want them both to lose, which is impossible, I guess. So, whatever, man. ASC this year, I have no nobody I could uh, at least partially root for. It just makes me sick to my stomach. So, all NFC. Um, so, I was rooting for the Colts, and they just shat that bed. So, 41-28 was the final. They let them come back at the end. Kind of similar situation. Just letting them run the clock. But uh, I think James White tied his record for most catches in a game by a running back. It's like 15 or something, 14. It's like freaking ridiculous. Freaking ridiculous, man. They had everything going. Uh, Sony Michelle was running the ball well. Our defense looked a lot, a lot more solid. They were take they took away that run game really well because the Chargers do a, a good job of of uh, utilizing the outside run game with like Melvin Gordon, and they had Eckler before he got injured. Uh, they they gashed Oakland when I saw them play, but New England was stout in that regard, and they were just shutting them down. They had did not have very many holes to hit, and. Uh, yeah, Philip Rivers was frustrated all day, and Rivers is just uh, Brady has ownage on Rivers' teams. Like the Chargers, don't matter what city they play in, it's just like every time they meet in the playoffs, you just just know what's gonna happen. And there's been some like there was a couple classic ones too from back in the day, back when like LT was on the team and they like uh, melted for the Patriots to advance in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I think there was one where Nate Cading missed a field goal. I was watching that game at Naughty Knicks <laughs> back in the day. Back, back in the day. Um, so, yeah. Patriots, Kansas City in uh, an arrowhead. That's the matchup for next week. So, uh, we'll come and talk about it after that shit happens. So, moving on. Back to Saturday, the night game. Rams 30, Dallas 22. Uh, I thought the Rams did a tremendous job of holding it, uh, holding on to the ball. They were opportunistic. The I think the scoreline also it was a it was the the game was a little bit more in control than what the scoreline suggests as well. I mean, you know, in the playoffs, teams come back on you, and like the the margin for error, and all these teams are good teams too. So it's like, uh, you know, you can never count anybody out. So thirty to twenty two, that was the final, and uh, the Rams they. Uh, it ran the ball like like crazy, man. Gurley was coming into the game as questionable. I thought he looked pretty good. He might not have been 100% Gurley, but you can, if you can get 85-90% of Gurley, that's still better than like 8 out of 10 of the running backs in the NFL, from, in my opinion. So he's been like nursing injuries all season. So he finally had some rest the last month or so. So he looked all right. Um, a guy looked really good still, CJ Anderson, man, going in just like bowling ball style, running in between the tackles. Gashing them, gashing them, gashing them. Uh, the Cowboys, apparently, there's a report that I was reading, listening to, uh, that uh, they were tipping their play play signals on defense. And uh, Chris Richard is like the defensive coordinator who used to be like the Seahawks D, D coordinator. He was taking a lot of uh, job interviews, apparently, this week. And so maybe he might have been distracted, not switch up the signals and stuff like that to make it uh, predictable, but... Yeah, it is what it is. His team got rolled. Uh, they did a good job of scheming for Vander Esch. They put Sean Lee in there at certain times, and they were taking advantage of him. Um, Jalen Smith looked like 
he was getting confused and re- on some reads. Weren't getting much pressure on with the Marcus Lawrence and the defensive line. Uh, Goff was able to run play action to like uh, a T. Goff played well. He wasn't perfect, but he wasn't bad, and he played better than like just enough to win. Played better than that because he did make some good throws. Um, so I'd give him maybe a seven or an eight out of ten in his overall performance. So, uh, um, yeah, probably like an eight. I'll give him an eight because he, uh, he did what it was needed. They, I think I heard they ran fifty-two percent play action, which is insane. That's in, freaking crazy. Like they're a play action team more so than maybe anyone else in the NFL. They rely so much of their offense on that, and when they can get. Uh, the linebacker sucked up off of the play action. You you just see Goff thrown over the top, over the middle like crazy to Cooks, Woods, um, Josh Reynolds even. Like, you know, those are the two main guys that that'll, he'll toss it to. Higby, uh, the tight end. Um, those are the other tight end that they have. Anyway, they do most of their work out of 31 personnel. Three receivers, one tight end, one running back. Um and, uh, yeah, man, it just leaves them so many options all over the field. And that's kind of what they did there. The Cowboys had a, a good run for their defense to end the season, and it just, like, all went to kaput that game. They were just getting demolished. And um, the Rams on their side, I mean, uh, the Rams, they, they went for it on fourth down, like, once or twice. Cowboys tried it as well, and they just got stuffed right up the middle. at the I think it was coming out of the third quarter to fourth quarter break. And that was probably the main play of the game right there. That kind of shifted it for the Rams. Uh, Because at that point, the Cowboys were still very much in it, very much alive. Yeah, so it was a a good performance on their part. Dak didn't look the greatest. Uh, He missed on a few throws. And on their side, they're also a heavy play-action team. They weren't able to get uh, that run game really running to a T like they, they needed to. So they were just like pounding the rock, pounding the rock, pounding the rock, and just kept gashing them, man. Gurley and, and C.J. Anderson, man. Who would have thought of that story, man? C.J. Anderson cut by the Broncos in the offseason, gets signed by Carolina. I drafted him on my fantasy squad. He doesn't do anything for them. They don't give him very much run, and he just like doesn't have a, a spot on the roster. They cut him in the middle of the season. The Raiders pick him up like week 12 or 13, like real deep into the season. Before he plays like a single snap for the team, he gets cut again. Uh, the Rams had some injuries. They sign him. They just plug and play him because like Gurley misses the last two weeks of the season. And this fool's running for over 120 yards every game, man. It's like, it's crazy. It's crazy. It just like goes to show you how much uh, importance like the rest of your teammates are to have an individual success. Because the, the counting stats in football are like, uh, they attribute it to only a couple players' performances, but in reality, it's like a full. You need eleven guys to get the job done on any given play. Um, even if you're not involved with the play per se, if you're on the backside, it's still very much important that you carry out your role and your responsibility. Because it's uh, it's tough, man. Um, when you don't have dudes blocking in front of you, or if you don't have a a, a play caller who gets you the ball in like your most optimal position. Like, if you're a downhill running back and you're running stretch handoff plays, you're not going to have much success a lot of times like that. Uh, teams are going to out, you know, 
they're gonna they're gonna beat you that way. Likewise, in the opposite uh, opposite way, if you're a scat back and teams are just pounding the ball up the middle, you know it's not gonna be surprised if you're gonna be struggling for yards. So, I feel like it was some of that maybe just coming into the right you know position and right situation, coming to another talented team and a coach that might actually know how to, how to utilize him in McVeigh. I think that's really really been the key for him. And also shout out to him because he was wearing a shirt that said Cuddy's on it, and with the because uh, he's from his hometown, from the Crest. I think he's from the Crest side, uh, out in the SF. Um, so he's from the Bay. So it was, it was. I thought it was kind of cool when he came to to the Raiders. I was like, cool, cool, another another NorCal dude. But uh, nah, that didn't last, man. It was kind of weird because at that point they uh, they still had Washington, Richard, and Doug Martin. But Dougie was getting like a majority of the carries. Is like kind of the lead back. Doug Martin played good for the rest of the season, so at the end of the season, for the most part, uh, what I saw, I liked from him. He had a couple of good games, but uh, yeah, man, it's just interesting. It's a funny thing. NFL is just a weird sport like that sometimes, and uh, it is what it is. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, moving on, I think the game of this weekend was the, the last game, the New Orleans and Philly game uh, that we saw yesterday. Final 20 to 14, the Saints move on. And that was a close one. Philly went up 14 nothing in the first quarter and then just didn't put up anything else the rest of the game, which was really surprising. Because at the beginning of the game, we're like beginning of the game, we're like, oh shit, man. The Eagles are they really gonna do this? Are they is Big Dick Nick really gonna lead this team to back to the Super Bowl for two years straight, coming in for an injured Carson Wentz? And it was very, very close to happening. So they came out in the hot in the first quarter, and then New Orleans just slowly started to change the momentum of the game. I think they uh, was it. Did they take the lead at halftime? I think no, they were still down. I think they were down fourteen to ten at that point. Um, and then in the third quarter, they finally took the lead, held on, and the Eagles just couldn't get that offense clicking right after the first. Saints made a good a good amount of adjustments. They were. Ballsy on a few plays. I know they, they like snuck a, a punt in for a first down with like Tyson Hill. Um and put Hill in at quarterback a few times. I saw they they ran some like quarterback run, like uh option plays with him. And Breeze was able to find Michael Thomas enough. because uh, uh the pass game was like a little out of sync in the first quarter. And then they started started opening it up, started getting people uh, involved, Ted Ginn had some uh, opportunities there. But Thomas is such a beast; he's so good. And uh, that Saints team, when you when you play them in the dome, it is so tough, man, on them. I think Philly they uh, they let the crowd get to them a little bit. But with all that being said, Philly still had the opportunity at the end of the game to come down, get a touchdown, and win the game because uh, I think the Saints had kicked the field goal to go twenty to fourteen. They had the ball. It was like a two-minute drill running down. And Foles was like got a couple first downs. And you're just like, oh, shit, this might happen. This might very well happen. He threw the ball to Alshon Jeffrey on the left side. I think it was like on an in-breaking route uh, or a comebacker. And No, it was like an in-breaking route. And it was one of those where you, you fit it into the, the window. And then like a split second later, he's going to take a pop by like the safety over the middle. So that happened, passed it to him, and Alshon, who's had great hands all season, has had a great, 
you know, second half of the year really coming on when Wentz is the, got re- reinserted into the starter role. Ball slips right through his hands, into the air, right into the hands of uh, one of the DBs for the Saints, and that just killed the drive, killed the game, and ended the season pretty much for the Eagles. And you could see Alshon on the ground just like, oh, man, he just was just so, so, so distressed, man. It was just, uh, you could see him. He was just all flustered, all frustrated. He didn't know what the hell to do. I felt kind of bad for the guy, man, because you could tell he was just like, man, season lied on me, relied on me, and I couldn't get it done. Could not do it. So uh, that was a, that was a tough one. Uh, Nick Foles maybe his last ever throw in an Eagles uniform. Um, you know, guy who won Super Bowl MVP the year before, and uh, yeah, man, it was. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, decisions they make and uh, how that happens, but. Whatever happens, I don't know if Foles is ever going to be like in the position better than he was in in Philadelphia. I think both of his stints there, um, he put up great numbers when Chip Kelly was the, the head coach. And then the second time around, obviously, we know what he did last year and this year. So that would be interesting to see. Hopefully for their sake, Carson Wentz has uh, fully recovered from that uh, knee injury because it was still looking a little giddy even when he was playing this season. Because uh, a lot of what he relied upon was the his athleticism when he was a rookie, and that's uh, when he got the Eagles off to that tremendous start. And they couldn't really like go to that, and so you saw him kind of relying upon uh, a few players, particularly Zach Ertz, his tight end. He would just like force feed the ball to him, kind of as his like security blanket. And other guys weren't getting the ball as much, and I think the whole um, the health of the offense wasn't the same. Foles redistributes it to his wide receivers a lot better than Wentz did this year. So we'll see if he could uh, make that adjustment. Because I think it was his shoulder was why he uh, shut, got shut down for the rest of this season. Um, but, yeah, all that kind of, like, uh, feeds into each other. Because if he can't run, then he takes more hits sometimes, uh, more unnecessary hits. Uh, just trying to, you know, because he's less mobile. And uh, that could lead to other injuries like the shoulder happening. So... It's like one thing before the other. You got to keep everything uh, solid. Yeah, man, that's uh, it's kind of where the playoffs are at. So we've got uh, New Orleans hosting uh, hosting the Rams in uh, the Superdome, and we've got Kansas City hosting New England. So right now, rooting for the Rams. Uh, I like what they've been doing. Shout out to Marcus Peters from the town. Brandon Cooks from Stockton, too. So that's always cool. I can always say that I uh, that would be cool if Cooks wins. That way I could say uh, we played and beat an NFL champion in high school, which is what we did. Um, yeah, St. Mary's versus Lincoln. I don't think Lincoln ever beat us. They never beat us when I was there. And, uh, yeah, just got to keep that legacy up. Anyway, there's been a lot of crazy talk about the, this head coaching carousels um, in the NFL. I think there was like eight jobs totally available. Um, I think there was like three or four black coach, head coaches got let go. And a lot of people in the media were rightfully pissed off about it. Um, I think uh, Vance Joseph for the Broncos. I know Marvin Lewis for the Bengals. Steve Wilkes for the Cardinals. Now, he was the one that was the most surprising because if you give him a fucking uh, poo-poo platter of uh, talent to to work with, 
it's hard to expect success from that. So you can only a builder is only as good as his tools sometimes. So or an artist is only as good as his tools, I guess, or his paintbrush, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. That's kind of how it felt. So he was in the best situation. I'm not gonna excuse him because I didn't watch too much Cardinals games. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was justified and all that stuff. But uh, that was the most surprising one. Um, but yeah, Adam Gase for the Dolphins. He was out. I know uh, the Browns. They uh, let some guys go. Um, let me see here. NFL coaching hires. Let's see here. Boom. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, different movement. Mm. Um, the Bucks they uh they let uh, their head coach go to, and they signed uh Bruce Arians, uh, who most recently was with the Arizona and the Cardinals. Um, prior to last season, he was in the the broadcasting booth, and uh, yeah, man, it's kind of how it is. Let's see here, who else? Um. Cliff Kingsbury. I can't believe the Cardinals like went for him. So his story is Texas Tech uh, head coach for a few years. Team does so-so. He gets fired from the job in the offseason this year uh, recently. He gets hired as the offensive coordinator for USC like about a month and a half ago. Maybe a month ago. Not even. And a few weeks later, he gets uh, he turn he. Quits UFC to get the head coaching job for the Cardinals. So I don't know how the hell that that progression happened without him ever proving himself as offensive coordinator at, at with the Trojans. It seems like a lot of like his hires like a lot of hype, and people are are looking for that new offensive explosion. People want Sean McVay. They want the Sean McVay prototype, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. That one was was the most kind of like head scratching to me. See what he does there with the Cardinals and uh, see if Josh Rosen is their answer because Rosen's kind of an interesting character. But yeah, Bruce Arians to Tampa, Kingsbury to the Cardinals, Vic Fangio is uh, gonna be the um, uh, what you call. Um, now we'll go in order of this article that I'm reading just so I can get in my head. So yeah, Cardinals get Kingsbury. Very interesting to see. The Browns, uh, had their interim offense coordinator, Freddie Kitchens. He was the guy who took over the, the play calling duty when, uh, um, the head coach in the OC got fired midway through the season. Um, Hugh Jackson and, uh, Todd Haley. Fools are having it out for each other. It looked like in the hard knocks. Yeah, he played a lot better in the kitchens, though, for sure. And, uh, yeah, man, they just uh, straight up made him their head coach, which is pretty interesting. So I think it's uh, – you don't see that as much in the NFL teams hiring within their organization to just keep it moving. But Browns decided to go that way. Ah, this is – the Vic Fangio going to Denver. So this is actually a move that I'm – if you're a Denver fan, I'd be very happy uh, to see as – a Raiders fan, I'm like not happy to see it because Vic Fangio 
almost every year has a really good scheme defense. Like if he doesn't have talent on his defense, they're at least going to bust their ass and it's going to make it as tough as possible. He still might score against them, but it's not going to be a, a cakewalk like ever. So Vic Fangio, if you don't know, he was the he's been in the NFL for a long time on the defensive side of the ball. He was a D coordinator for the Niners when they had their their Super Bowl run a few years ago when they had you know Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick and back there. Um, back when they had like on the defense, they had what Deshaun Golson, Navarro Bowman, Alden Smith, Justin Smith, uh, Patrick Willis, uh, Ahmad Brooks. Like just, they had a loaded defense, man. They had really really good players. And Vic Fangio was like the um, kind of the impetus behind that. So he'd been with the Bears the last few seasons, and you saw, you guys saw what they did the NFL offenses this year, man. They really held it down. So Vic Fangio's a really really good head coach. Um, Twenty years as a DC, it's like going the the Broncos are going completely opposite of what like a lot of the other teams are doing with the uh, trying to look for that young offensive coordinator type role, quarterback mentor type role. So they're going with the defensive side. And this has me concerned because the most scariest Broncos teams that uh, the Raiders have faced in the last 10 years or so have been more defensive-based teams. And so those are the frustrating teams to, to play against because it's uh, um, playing up in that altitude. And it's, uh, yeah, man, when, the, when you get the pass rushers running against you and, and then you can uh, get the offense to go three and out. And if the Broncos hold on to the ball, then... Um, and run the ball real heavy like what they do a lot, then what that happens is your defense is out on the field and they get gassed easy. And then it becomes even easier and easier and easier as the game goes along to just keep, you know, bludgeoning them with running game, uh, play after play after play, play action, all that stuff. So um, defense, I think, has been the formula for them to um, in recent years. So they're going back to that, and I'm uh, I'm concerned because he's in the, back in the uh, – in the in the division there for the Raiders. Let's see. The Packers hired Titans offensive quarter Matt LaFleur. That was a little interesting. So he didn't uh Yeah, I mean the Tennessee Titans offense doesn't jump out to you that much. Mariota, they have like run dominant attack, you know, read option stuff and their passing attack wasn't the, the most solid. But uh yeah, man. Blaine Gabbert and Marcus Mariota, really. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know how that's going to work for uh, for the Packers and what that signals between Aaron Rodgers and the organization. I, I don't know um, how that's going to work. But uh, it is what it is. He's not doesn't have that much experience, per se. Um, but anyway, I guess who knows? I guess most people didn't know about McVay prior to that happening. So he has ties to Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan too. So he's Falcons quarterback coach in 2015 and 2016 when Matt Ryan won the MVP. He was McVay's offense coordinator in 2017. And yeah, I guess he was helping golf out and stuff. So yeah, it's like anybody who's got like connection to McVay is just like just super high on right now. Yeah, yeah, Bruce Arians going to the Bucks. I don't know how the hell that's going to work with uh, um, uh, Jameis Winston. Because Winston just hasn't been able to figure this shit out um, in terms of being consistent. I don't know if it's the off-the-field thing. Like, he's just not putting 100% uh, 
dedication and, and study time to the position because quarterback is a whole nother beast than me- the mental the mental side of playing quarterback is a whole nother beast than like almost any other position in the NFL. It's just uh, so much to take into consideration and to decipher um, in basically five to ten seconds is what you got to do when you line up. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough, man, because a lot of his reads just uh, you're just like, man, uh, simple stuff sometimes you might miss. The other quarterbacks will uh, will kind of uh, hit on most of the time. And obviously his uh, judgment off the field. So we'll see how like that uh, the personalities might mesh there because that's gonna that's gonna dictate a lot for for them, you know. So we'll see what happens. So the Jets got Adam Gase, former Dolphins head coach. So he got let go in this off season. He was one of those hot young offensive guys uh, last time he got uh, hired. Uh, Ryan Tannehill never figured it out with him. Um, yeah, it looks like they're tiring him to try to help develop Sam Darnold, but we'll see, man. We'll see. Darnold did, did show flashes, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how what his uh, ceiling might be. And these are rookies on teams that are not necessarily the most talented, so like... Sometimes you take it with a grain of salt. So we'll see where that goes. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Gase, by the end of it, just looked freaking lost and just soft at the end of it in Miami. Uh, shout out to homie David Tate. I watched some, some of the, those games with him, and it was just, he's just like the most frustrated as play calling. So we'll see how that goes for them. I'm not sure. Uh, let's see, the Bengals, they haven't made a hire yet, but it looks like they're planning to hire their quarterback coach for the Rams, Zach Taylor. Um, 35 years old, even younger than McVay. Never been a head coach in NFL or in college. Jesus. Um, but yeah, Bengals are really going another way. They had 16 years in a row with Marvin Lewis as the head coach. No playoff wins in that time. And uh, they were looking to change it up. So, yeah, they're looking to, to switch it. So we'll see. This Taylor guy. He was an interim offensive coordinator for the Dolphins in 2015. This is going to be a big step up for him. This is like so much question marks with a lot of these guys that they're hiring. Um, Let's see. And then the Miami Dolphins are going to plan to hire the Patriots. They say de facto defensive coordinator Brian Flores. So that's like, I guess he's like Afro-Latino, I think, um, is my assumption, or mixed. Um, But, yeah, man. So I guess another black head coach is getting hired, though. Uh, he's technically the club's linebacker coach, but um, yeah, he's he's been with that team for a long time, so he knows uh, how that defensive side of the ball really works, which is Belichick's really baby. So he holds on to that. So he's been uh, under there, under tutelage of there. Yeah, um, he's got 15 years of experience. He only has one as a play caller. Um, yeah, he's he's been all right. We'll see what happens there. I think uh what a lot of teams do is they like uh um get a lot of these uh coordinators from teams that have like that panache or that long term like staying power. But sometimes um regardless of how well their performance might be doing. Cuz I think the Patriots on paper, their defense in your mind is has been better than what you might see like numbers wise but regardless it's uh 
think you should be able to get the job done. Um, yeah, moving on. Raiders actually made some news with their front office. They hired Mike Mayock as their new GM. So uh, if you weren't, you know, keeping tabs with the news, it was uh, – why am I blanking on his name now? Reggie McKenzie, he was let go uh, recently. And so, yeah, Mayock got hired. He was working with NFL Network for a long time, uh, mostly in scouting. Uh, and drafting of players, and we'll see. This is a big question mark for the Raiders. It's a lot of changes, and he came out and said John Gruden still has ultimate, you know, final say on uh, the roster. So um, I think pretty much Gruden is just hiring Mayhawk to handle the draft, and because uh, draft scouting and analysis is like way too much for an NFL head coach to take on, along with scouting and uh, you know teaching technique and all that stuff in terms of like the roster that you actually have on the team. So you really need to outsource some of that and uh, have some trust in your uh, scouting department, which I heard that there was some, uh, some beef between some of his scouts that he had hired and some of the previous scouts that were under Reggie McKenzie. So hopefully we can start off on a fresh slate and get it up and moving because they're going to have a lot of chances to pick. They're going to have three first rounders. And uh, I think they're picking like, um, fifth from their pick, and they got like 22nd, and I think like 24th or 26th. So they have three first rounders this year, and it's going to be very important to get uh, a few of those picks right and be contributors for the season. Um, so yeah, that's uh, we're getting into the off season talk for the Raiders, and uh, I mentally haven't checked myself into there. Probably when February and the Super Bowl ends, and that's when I'll start looking at uh, mock drafts a little bit more seriously. There's a lot of defensive linemen uh, in the draft this year, which is good because the Raiders definitely need that help. Um, so, so yeah. Got to see some of them play in that uh, championship game, Alabama and Clemson. Some big boys there. and Yeah, Clemson dominated for the most part. That was kind of surprising. Bama got rolled that hard. They haven't got that rolled that hard in forever. Yeah, that's just a testament to how good savings teams are coached and how much talent he can get on that team, man. It's like... You got like two or three levels of, you know, NFL caliber talent on the teams. Insane, man. I can't believe they keep recruiting guys that keep going into there. You think after a while people would get tired of it. That, uh, yeah, man, that Taylor Lawrence guy and that, uh, that, that other freshman whiteout that they have, whew, man, they're going to be a problem for a while if uh, they can stay healthy. Um, I can't remember the name of the damn freshman wide receiver who made that ridiculous catch, like one-handed, like, matrix style catch that dude's from alabama so i guess more people might not necessarily want to go to bama just because it's the you know the hot commodity and all that stuff it is what it is we'll see see what happens uh anyway moving on uh one of my favorite moments of the season that's happening uh last home game of the year it was the the christmas eve game against the broncos i'm so happy the raiders showed up for that game doug martin played amazing but uh they let uh, Marshawn Lynch, who was on injury reserve, they invited him back to the stadium to light the Al Davis torch, um, the Al Davis flame, um, which is like a dedication to him in the stadium. And he got to light it like pregame. They invited like a lot of the old Raider players to come and do it every game since he's passed away to kind of keep his legacy up and moving. And they've used it for like uh, a lot of the, the past players who – 
um, where, you know, we're really up on outside and even ha they've used it as kind of like an olive branch to players who might have like not ended the, the relationship with Al Davis in the best way. In particular, uh, Marcus Allen. I think he's the biggest example of a player that just got on the bad side of Al Davis for one reason or the other. And just things did not end up uh, turning out well. Uh, I think it was a lot of personal issues and uh, it was weird. He was just like wasn't it's because Marcus Allen was an amazing player, but I think Al Davis, in his mind, he didn't want one player to be greater than the team, and it's a it's a weird mindset to have. But it's uh, um, I understand I understand where he's coming from, but it's like if you have a freaking horse, you gotta let that horse run, you know. And he held him back for years and uh, made him become a blocker for Bo Jackson. He was just that selfless. He was just like, you know what, I want to get on the field. I don't care if I'm blocking. So that's what kind of uh, upstanding person that Marcus Allen was, but. Yeah, he took it to the Raiders when they let him go when he went to Kansas City. He just, yeah, destroyed him <laughs> at the end of his career a couple times. So that was frustrating. So, um, but yeah, a few years ago they invited him back and he lit the torch and it was a good kind of, you know, let's make amends type moment. But Marshawn, he's only been on the team very short amount of time. He's got a more of a connection, though, with the community just because he is from Oakland. He is like the personal embodiment of what an Oakland motherfucker is, like, to T. Like, there's, I don't, I don't know if there's anybody more Oakland than Marshawn Lynch, um, publicly that people would know of. Like, that motherfucker is so Oakland. So, it was kind of cool to see him light the torch on what is probably going to be the last home game in that city, in that stadium. Since after that game happened, basically the, uh, the city of Oakland is suing the Raiders about them leaving and, like, ending their lease with the Coliseum or something like that. And so right now the lease was on a year-to-year -year basis. So their plan was initially to just re-up it for the next year. But uh, it looks like it's not going to happen now, uh, now that the team is uh, being sued by the city. So from what I read recently, they're more than likely either going to play in Santa Clara with the Levi Stadium where the Niners play, or they're going to play at AT&T Park, uh, which is the baseball stadium there for the Giants in San Francisco. Which is going to be kind of weird. Um, AT&T Park, when they arrange it for a, bit, for a football game, they have both sidelines on the same side. So if they, if they do that, it's going to be really awkward. Um, them playing at the Niners Stadium, I don't have as much of an issue with. The other options they're talking about was maybe going down to San Diego. Hell, Reno, I know, is up there. They're saying maybe Vegas early. Uh, London even was an option. Like they were, they're throwing everything up on the on the board. But it looks like right now it's probably gonna be. All right, so my battery died on my recorder, but I'm back now. Like I was saying, uh, I'm not sure where I was at, but anyway, yeah, Marshawn, he's like the embodiment of some dude from Oakland, right? So it was really dope to see him light the torch. The dopest point though, of what happened after that? This motherfucker took a blunt out of his pocket. And literally, there's like photos of him reaching up to the flame, trying to light his blunt off the Al Davis torch. And like, I got that shit saved on my phone. That shit's legendary, bro. That's like the the big, the most Oakland shit ever, dog. Like, there's no more Oakland thing that can happen in this world. You feel me? Like, this fool probably had a lighter in his pocket and was just like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do this for the legacy Al." Oh man. It's, like, so funny because there's so many motherfuckers that smoke uh, weed inside the stadium when, like, the games are playing and shit like that. Back in the day when they what used to happen is they used to have, like, the third upper deck, uh, Mount Davis. 
People used to smoke in the little like um, the steps up to the seats because uh, there's like uh, uh, if you're looking down from like the up upwards like towards the or like um, up the, the the rail. The only way that you can see the dude smoking is if you're like walking by and you look up right there because people walk by and it's like really steep. So people would sneak in there and just smoke all the time. Or you see people smoking in the bathrooms, man. I remember one time I went to go take a piss and I come out the stall and I see some dude looking all skeevy, like head on a swivel looking around everywhere. And this motherfucker got a blunt in his hand and this fool's chain smoking the shit out of that sucker like <laughs> trying to like uh, suck the whole damn thing down in like two seconds. I'm like, what? damn, this shit's crazy. I was like freaking 12. <laughs> like, I've never seen that shit before in my life. But yeah, that was dope. That was fucking dope. That was like one of my favorite moments of this crappy season for them and all that stuff. Anyway, let's switch topics, man. Let's go to basketball. Let's get some on uh, some uh, more exciting news here. I got to talk about it every fucking time because it's still going, baby. My Sacramento Kings above 500 still, man. This has been amazing. Oh, my God. This shows you how low our expectations have been for the team, man. Oh, they've been playing good. 22 and 21. They're still 10th in the West. Um, but, my God, they uh, have been able to show out. And they've got talent. And they got some things that people can't match up with, man. The Seeing De'Aaron Fox improve like he has. Most importantly, on the defensive end, for me, this dude is getting swiping people left and right. He gets so many steals and just like uh, uh, breakaway dunks and layups that it's just it's almost a guarantee. The other favorite thing that I've loved seeing from him is the goddamn chase down blocks that he's had. He's had like five of them in the last like two weeks, and it's just been every single time it happens because he's just like it's a six. He's he's six five. He's tall for a point guard. He's got a good size for a point guard. But even still, you're like, oh, this point guard ain't going to, like, pin my shit on the glass. Fucking wrong. Well, bam. I remember, like, uh, a couple games ago, some uh, some dude on the opponent had a three-on-one fast break, and he was just like, fuck no, you don't. Dude, a homie went up for a layup and just pinned that shit right on the glass. That, that, that's my favorite. That's what, I think that's my favorite playing basketball is when you pin some dude's uh, shot up on the glass and you slap the backboard because, oh, my God, that was my favorite thing to do back in the day. Back when I played center, man, I used to swat so many shots. I was so good. So good on defense, man. Timing the dude jumping the, jumping off the ground. Get me that shit out of here. Get that wee stuff out of here, man. I used to be that dude that would swat your shot and yell at your face like, Ah! Let's go! <laughs> and start clapping and shit, pounding my chest. Like, I was that dude trying to fucking get in your head. Oh, man. So that's been amazing to see. I'm glad to see Marvin Bagley healthy again and out there playing. Really glad to see Harry Giles start to improve, man. This dude, he's got oodles and noodles of uh, uh, potential. So much damn potential. And he's finally starting to get healthy. He's getting his rhythm on the court. And he's getting playing time with the second unit. And uh, his rebounding numbers, I think, can still improve. I think that uh, that could always get better. His assist numbers look really good. And he's doing a good job scoring with some touch. His uh, jumper always can get better. He's got time to improve it, though. What you see right now is you see the heart and you see the the court vision from a guy that's, like, pretty damn tall, 6'10". A lot of comparisons to Chris Webber I've heard. Obviously, a lot of the uh, Kings fans have, uh, you know, have reminisced back in the day running that high post motion offense with him and Vlade. You know, guards running around everywhere. That's been good to see him, you know, slowly get into the rhythm. He's been a part of the second unit now for – about a, a month, month or two, 
because um, he's kind of supplanted Costa Kufis coming off the bench. And they've, uh, I like seeing it with both him and Bagley are out there because both dudes don't necessarily have the bulk to be playing like center per se, but they have the length and athleticism and the size. So um, when they play together, they both pass the ball w- well enough to get it done. And I think um, on paper, they should have enough range there. But defensively, they could switch out on stuff. And uh, they can get up and run, 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 run. The big man, they need to run on this team. Willie Cauley-Stein has done a great job of outspreading a lot of dudes this year. His rebounding numbers have been inconsistent. And sometimes his uh, you know, effort level wanes from here and there. That's been his knock, I think, a lot of uh, his career. Um, he's addressed it a bit at times. And he's, uh, he's done better than he has in the past. And even though he's not as hasn't been as hot as he was at the beginning of the season, he's still giving the Kings what they need for now. So there's going to be a lot of questions as to whether they should keep keep him or move on from him because I know he was looking for a big paycheck this offseason. He was, he was playing like it for a long time. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, another guy, Iman Shumpert, I got I to gotta mention. To him, I got to bring him up because he's like, I think, like the spiritual leader of the team, being a veteran. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how good he was playing at the beginning of the season. His play has dropped off a bit since then. Um, it's mostly his shooting. Uh, he had a really bad stretch, maybe about a two-week stretch recently, of uh, where he just couldn't get his three-point jumper to fall. And when his three-point jumper isn't falling, he doesn't uh, necessarily give you as much because he's like more of a pull-up jumper type of guy. He's not a guy that's necessarily going to break you down off the dribble. Uh, defensively, he still gives you great effort every night in and night out, and he's still doing everything you need him to do. But um, those shots just weren't falling. And so there was, there's been times where the Kings have really like started to like search and reach, try to figure out what to do for that small forward position if he's not going. They've turned to Justin Jackson a lot more recently. The beginning of the season, he looked just like the rookie season, just lost, kind of without his, you know, looking like a chicken with his head cut off, not sure, really sure of himself out there. His jumper wasn't really going, and he didn't show like, like he had very much confidence. In the last like month and a half, he's done a tremendous job of coming in. His three-point shot has has really started to click in. Um, He's been more comfortable putting the ball on the ground, hitting those uh, one-dribble pull-ups. He's uh, doing a much better job of cutting off of, uh, you know, backdoor cuts and playing tough defense. It's not going to be perfect, but, man, he's been been improving a lot. So uh, he's been doing more than I thought he could do because at the beginning of the season, I'm like, man, this guy might not be legitimately. He might not uh, be good enough to stick around in the NBA. But since then... He's been improving, and I got to give him credit because when you watch him at Carolina when he was a freshman, you would maybe see him and you're like, I don't know about him. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, has that talent or what what have you. Every year he got better, a little bit better here, a little bit better there, and just, got, you know, slowly, slowly, steadily improving. And it looks like he's got the tenacity to keep working for it, which uh, which is good to see because he's uh, he's definitely held his own. Uh, in the second unit, he's done a, a you know good job at times to um, come in and provide a little bit of offense because uh, when the second unit comes out, that's been the big bugaboo is like not being able to get some uh, offense flowing, looking for guys. Um, if Bogey can't score, sometimes it gets really, really bogged down there. So Bogdanovich uh, coming off the bench has still been pretty well. Um, he had that crazy game against the Lakers a few weeks back where uh, – he hit that step back uh, three point shot over uh, Chyson Chandler to win the game, which was amazing because they were down by like 15 in that game. The Kings have been comeback Kings, uh, cardiac Kings a little bit. 
Um, but also the other way, they've given up some big leads to some teams that they should have uh, held down. And so that's been, uh, I think, more of the youth kind of coming into factor. Maybe sometimes the, the young guys hit some walls. I know they, they hit you know, some rookie walls last season. And they're probably still kind of getting adjusted to playing so many games in so much in a short amount of time. The NBA schedule is rough that way. Because you come out in college and you're playing maybe, what, 30, 35 games a season? Maybe 40 if you're lucky. You come to the NBA, it's already automatically doubled. I mean, even from, like, Europe, I think they – they might play somewhere closer to 60 games, and you playing 82 games in a season. That's a, that's a lot. It's a lot to ask for. So guys are gonna naturally have their lulls, but uh, as young guys keep getting older, they'll uh, they'll learn how to manage all that stuff. And you can tell they got some some losses due to the scheduling and like back to backs and travel. No excuses and stuff, but you know typically those are some of the things that'll hurt you. Um, the more solid veteran teams that can overcome those things, but sometimes that uh, it's a challenge uh, for the Kings. They did have a stretch where they lost four out of five, and they had dropped below 500 for the first time in a little while. But they've won a couple games back in a row, and hopefully they can keep it going because uh, the schedule, it wasn't so favorable for them at the end of December, um, but uh, at the beginning of January. But going into the middle and later parts of January, it starts to ease up with them, play a lot more of the um, – uh, Eastern Conference competition, who isn't that solid. Um, some of the middle to bottom of the pack teams that they'll be able to feast on a little bit. Hopefully, knock on wood. And, uh, yeah, I can keep it going. They're uh, they're doing well for themselves. I'm really, really excited. Big shout-out to Buddy Heald, man. I think he deserves to be in the All-Star game this year. He's shooting like 40% from three-point line. And it's just been amazing to see. He's had some really, like, electrifying, like, performances. And he's like... Uh, yeah, man, he's like hit more threes through this point in his uh, in the season than Peja, who had the record at that point. I think through forty games for the Kings, which uh, is amazing, man. Peja was so good and such a lethal sharpshooter, man. He was uh, so fun to watch, so so fun. And I think Buddy has that same same potential for the three point shot, even though they play a little bit different positions, but. Uh, Buddy's been on fire, and he he'll have quarters where he put up twenty points and just catch you know flames and then yeah just uh either you know win games for the kings i've seen him you know bring help bring the team back um just see him do some amazing stuff and uh he's really started to solidify himself i think if he puts up these numbers again for another year or two uh, i think he'll be an all-star for sure it's just a matter of you know getting on the national radar and just you know letting the play speak for yourself but uh it's tough with the all-star voting a lot of that's like some political stuff and um you know um how good your team is and right now sacramento's not in the playoff hunt or in the playoff picture right now they sit at 10th but i mean they're only one game back of the lakers for the eighth spot so if the kings win tonight lakers lost last night um had like a humiliating loss last night actually they lost to cleveland with no lebron Mm, mm, mm. But uh, yeah, so if the Kings win tonight against uh, the Pistons, they'll they'll do okay. They'll be back in that uh, tied for eighth. I think Utah might all might also play tonight. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. Wait, Utah plays Detroit tonight. Who do the Who do the Kings play tonight? They played Charlotte. Oh, they're playing Portland. That'll be a little tougher. 
So Portland's a four seed right now. Yeah, let me give you this, the the standings as uh, they currently sit. We got the Denver Chicken Nuggets number one, still holding it down, half game up over Golden State, uh, twenty nine and thirteen versus twenty nine and fourteen records. Oklahoma City's in third right now, twenty six and sixteen. They've been on a hot streak. And Russell Westbrook's been dropping mad dimes. His jumper has been broke the last month, and he is still balling. That's how good he is. Um, Paul George has been amazing for them. They really, I think they fit really well together. And I think Paul George might have made the right decision to stick around in Oklahoma City, man. They're a solid team. 26 and 16, they're third. Fourth is Portland, 26 and 18. The Clippers are fifth, 24 and 18. Houston, sixth, 24 and 18. San Antonio, 25 and 19. They're back in the playoff push. Lakers are in eighth, 23 and 21. Tied with them is Utah, same record. And then Sac at 22 and 21. But then right behind Sac, it's like Minnesota at 11, 21, 22. New Orleans at 20 and 23. And Dallas at 20 and 23. Also Memphis at 19 and 23. So it's like if Memphis wins four games in a row, they're right back in it. Like, And they're 14th. That's like so crazy. Phoenix is like legitimately the only team out of it in the East or in the West, 11 and 33. And freaking Sacramento lost to them, man, when they didn't have Devin Booker. So that was a bad, bad loss. That's probably the most stinging loss for the Kings this season, especially because they had a double-digit lead in the second half. Ah, that was frustrating when I watched that whole thing happen. Um, slow collapse. But, yeah, Phoenix is, like, the only team legitimately out of it. Everybody else, they could say, we have two. If we, we play two good weeks in a row, we can be back in the race. But so West is just so damn ridiculous, man. We might have, like, 11 teams go 500 and above. Like, it's... That's crazy. Win over 41 games. It's a tough thing to do in the West. But conversely, that means a lot of teams in the East are not in it. So these teams would be Cleveland, New York, Chicago, and Atlanta. So that's from the bottom upwards, uh, 15 to 12 seeds. And then Washington looks like they're going to be done. Detroit not looking so hot either. But, I mean, even I say that Washington, Detroit, and uh, Orlando are all right there for the, the last playoff spot. They're all within two games. Orlando and Charlotte are actually tied right now. They're eighth and ninth seed. They both have 19-23 records. So up top, Toronto, 33-12. Milwaukee, 30-12. and 12. Um, Indiana, third seed, 28-14. Philly, the fourth seed, 28-16. Boston, 25-17. and 17. They're still kind of going through some shit, man. I saw Gordon Haywood and Kyrie Irving like, uh, had some words for each other following another loss last night where uh, – and Kyrie wanted to shoot the ball, and Gordon ended up putting up a shot that bricked. So, um, yeah, man, Boston's still going through it. They still have that talent, but I don't know. Philly also seems like they're kind of going through it too, and just quietly Indiana's just been solid, just, you know, you know, staying around, keep winning ball games. Uh, they also have Bogdan another Bogdanovich. They have, uh, you know, Darren Collison, Oladipo. They, they have some players, Miles Turner, Sabonis. Um, they got some guys, man. They got some guys that can uh, that can ball the, over there. They got Tyreek Evans, too. I forget about him coming off the bench. They're pretty deep. They might surprise a team or two. But, yeah, the two marquee teams that are not doing as hot as you think would be Philly and Boston. So, they uh, still a lot of time left, and they can still uh, advance up the, the rankings there. Miami at the 6C, 21-20. and 20. Uh, Brooklyn, 21-23. And they're in the seventh spot, man. Like... That gets you 
like if you have a 21 23 record in the west you're in, in like uh 11th spot <laughs> in the east you're in the seventh spot that's just kind of perspective there 19 and 23 charlotte they're the eighth seed tied with orlando like i said before if you put charlotte in the western conference they would be 14th <laughs> tied for 14th it's fucking crazy man it's so crazy is how the lot a lot unlopsided it is this season but uh we'll see what happens i think uh james harden for mvp is a good bet that dude is looking unstoppable um this season it's annoying but it's still like some of the stuff with him is annoying because it's the how much he plays up to like get to the line with the officials and stuff um but uh, you can't not can't knock the hustle if like they're gonna give it to you might as well take it right the whole double step back bullshit and all that stuff if they gonna let him travel man it's just, of course it's gonna, it's gonna be ridiculous to stop him he's been putting dudes on skates like all year and like every game it just gets more and more like brutalizing when a big man gets matched up on him even when like a, a small guard i saw him like cross some dude over and pull up a three-pointer and like some dude fell over like straight up it was like man it's just he's doing it all this year it's ridiculous anyway back to some uh nba news here how about derrick rose having to apologize to the media um so recently tom thibodeau actually got canned and uh he was a gm and the coach there for the timberwolves and He's got a long relationship with Derrick Rose, was his coach in Chicago, and then helped bring him back there in Minnesota. Mm. Is uh, you know, D Rose is having like a, a resurgent season this year. He's been on fire. He's actually right now one of the leading All Star vote getters. Um, All Star voting is ridiculous. Luka Doncic is right now would be playing in that game. So would Dwayne Wade. It's like it's the fan votes. I get it. I get it. I get it. But yeah, anyway, D Rose had some uh, comments. There, a reporter asked him. I think, uh, uh, so, um, like, uh, do you think your performance is going to change now that uh, the Thibodeau's gone? And he said, if you think I'm going to be playing any different than I have been this year, then go kill yourself. It's kind of a way to like, it's a saying that people use like recently to kind of say like, hey man, like. You know, like, get out of here. Like, you need to, like, reconsider your thoughts type of thing. But the way some people might hear it, it's like, is he, like, actually telling people to go kill themselves? And so there's such, like, drama and hypersensitivity with certain people. And so he had to put an apology about, like, suicide prevention and all this stuff like that. He's not literally talking about it. It's like, you got to talk about it in the context of what he was presented with. Like, that's just an off-the-cuff remark, man. And if, like... Uh, people like I don't, I don't have too much of an issue with it because I think you got to understand what he's talking about, man. And uh, it's like emotional for him because this dude he looked devastated. He was done. His like body was broken down, and now he's been able to fight through all that and still have be successful. He changed up his game. Uh, he's found ways to you know he's honed in his skills for the the mid range shot and his jumpers improved a ton, 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 ton. He used to not get close on a lot of jumpers and there's only a driver and slasher but now man you got to respect this three-pointer this pull-up jumper it will cross you over still he could still finish inside the lane it's just a little different than before it's more uh lateral quickness and sort of uh, vertically being able to get up and jam over people he's not as explosive as he was but he's a much better finisher on the in-between stuff and uh 
yeah, man, it, like if you if we're gonna like keep attacking people for being honest, people are like, gonna be less honest, and it's gonna make the the media's job a lot tougher. But I don't know. That's kind of like I feel. Yeah, it's more of uh, now not even the media. That's like mm, I don't know. Just. I don't know, social justice warriors, fighter people reading into too much shit online and just everyone being aggrieved. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's crazy. Um, anyway, go D-Rose. Keep doing your shit. Um, Dad actually had a pair of his old sneakers that he gave to me. So got some new balling shoes, which is what's up. So got to go try those suckers out maybe later today. Oh, moving on, moving on. Um, yeah, LeBron James apologizing to the Jewish community because uh, he was playing a song by um, 21 Savage. It has a line about it, like uh, something about like getting money like some Jews or something, like Jewish money or some shit like that. And uh, LeBron was uh, singing to it like on uh, Instagram Live or something uh, or like one of his IG stories. And so now he had to like apologize to the Jewish community because they, they felt like it was like a, a stereotype that's not like a positive one, which is like, and then he came out and was like, no, I thought it was, a, a, you know, giving props to the community for how well they've been able to um, uh, amass some generational wealth throughout the, throughout the years, especially in America. I mean, that's just like, that's legit history, right? Um, not saying everybody um and everything like that but you know there's there's been some people have been able to work uh, work their way to the top i mean there's no i if it's if it's like a problem to give compliments for certain things now then it's like what the fuck are we doing man what are we doing so it's also i felt that was like kind of crazy it's like really like really people people pissed off man like about that shit but i mean whatever i'm not on either side of the conversation it's just odd kind of being in the middle man I was kind of thinking about this shit yesterday, man, because I went to, I did some stand-up a little bit yesterday, went to a set, and kind of bombed a little bit, but got, like, to listen to some other people and shit like that, and it's so funny, because it's like, you know, white comedians, black comedians going up, a little bit everybody, and uh, I'm like, it's so funny being like the, like, a, um, growing up, like, Mexican in this country, because you just see, like, white people and black people yelling at each other, and I feel kind of like the... Uh, the dude who's recording the fight videos on World Star, like I'm just like on the side, like with my video camera open, like damn, this shit crazy. <laughs> like seeing us, like the fucking haymakers go side to side. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about that. I'm, I'm just kind of looking at it, like I don't have a dog in the fight, whatever, man. But I thought that shit was kind of interesting. But uh, shout out to, to all the uh, all the Hebrew homies out there. Uh, that's some cool people. I mean. Everybody sucks, but everybody's dope, too. So it is what it is. Uh, moving on, some high school basketball news. We had Boone High School versus Oak Ridge High School in uh, Florida. Oak Ridge is like a big powerhouse out there. Boone High School, not that, not so much. There's no shot clock in the state of Florida, so they played the stall offense. The score was 0-2-3 at halftime. 0-2-3 at halftime. Are you fucking shitting me? Come on, man. They need to change the rules. They ended up winning the game, though. Boone High School made the upset. 20-16 to 16 was the final score. That's just... That seems kind of ridiculous, man. It's insane. But, uh, I mean... I, like, want to fault the coach, but at the same time, I get it, man. If this was the only route that you see your team having a chance to win, I understand going for it, man. Because the rules are the rules, and it's, like, not your job to change them. If they're there, then... 
take advantage of them by all means. That just goes to show you that they just the high schools need to change the rules on their end. Just need to put, institute that damn shot clock. I've seen it in in California, like with my brother's teams play, and I like the shot clock being implemented there. Thirty five seconds is perfectly fine. I think in college, I like the fact that they lowered it to thirty, because um, I think they uh, gave too much like power to like the teams to run the offenses like fucking seven different options and stuff like that you're running counters and all a bunch of stuff and it was too much too much got to get it up and moving um but uh in high school i don't think that's too much of a big deal because uh a lot of the high schoolers are not as like in tune to like be that solid and consistent on a play in a play out basis but uh yeah man that shit was crazy man like high school basketball is like it's it's out there. It's such a weird vibe because of the AAU circuit. A lot of these guys don't necessarily um, not care or anything about it, but it's like it's got a different value level than it once did when your high school team was the only team that you could play for, really. Now you got guys that, that work the system. They transfer. They become po- more popular than their, their school is, so they go to like these you know big powerhouses or – Maybe they start out a powerhouse, they don't get their footing, so they go to a different school, they get scouted more. You know, it's weird, it's weird. It's a whole different, like, environment and ball game than it was when I was coming up, when AAU was still. I don't want to even say it in, in its emphases, because that would probably be, like, the 90s, but it was still, the AAU circuit was, like, still pretty fresh and new, like, the whole the whole vibe of it when I was playing AAU ball. It's a lot different now. Um, like for instance, my little brother was telling me that he, uh, his best player on his team, this dude Bryce Johnson, uh, was playing for Quincy Pondexter's AAU basketball team. But um, apparently, he was all pissed off because Quincy kept playing him at like power forward or center. And even though he's like six seven, six eight, big man, tall guy physically, he's got like guard skills where he can put the ball on the ground, shoot, dribble, and stuff like that. And he wanted to play more there, so he was apparently pissed off at the coach for doing that. Because uh, he wanted to show off his skills. He wants to play more of like a three. But he plays more of like a four or five because he's the tallest dude on the team. So those kind of things happen, uh, like on his high school team, I should say. So those, those things happen from here and there. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting for sure. And then guys like switch AAU teams and different allegiances. And sometimes the, the shoe, like sponsorships become, a, you know, an issue and things of that nature. Nike versus Adidas versus... I don't know who else is in the high school ranks. Those are the two biggest, like, for, since forever. And um, Reebok in the past would do things, but Reebok's now under under Adidas, and they don't really have, like, that crazy of a shoe basketball lineup anymore. Um, they mostly just reissue the Iversons, which are dope. Just keep doing that for sure. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, uh, I don't know what Under Armour's doing. I don't know what the Chinese brands, if they – even care about investing in the high school game and stuff if it's even worth it for them um what leaning anta peak those companies um i know puma is back in the basketball business but they're still in their infancies and uh a couple other brands i know new balance has got a couple guys but uh yeah who knows who knows who knows what's what's up with that different world anyway moving on uh we'll move on to the world of mma how about that last UFC that dropped, man? Holy crap. Is Amanda Nunes a badass or what? She is now, in my opinion, the 
greatest of all time in terms of the female fighters. She, if you did not see it, she's straight up starched, like the most terrifying, terrifying chick in the fucking planet. And uh, Chris Cyborg Santos. Um, she, uh, Cyborg was the freaking boogie woman for the longest time in MMA. She was just beating the crap out of everybody left and right. Um, I think her most uh, high-profile fight was uh, in Strike Force with Gina Carano. Gina just got her face pummeled in that fight, man. It was just not even close. And there's been a lot of people who have, like, avoided fighting her, um, including uh, Jermaine Durandamy, uh from the Netherlands because she beat uh, Holly Holm in a controversial decision and then just fucking gave up the belt. Just like, eh, I'm okay. I don't want to fight her. Like, just dipped out on it. So that was uh, interesting. But Nunes, she stood up with it, and she was like, you know what? I'm going to take my time. I'm going to train. I'm going to put on some weight because she had to, like, put on some, some muscle because she she went up in weight. She went from 135 to 145. And uh, Cyborg was coming down to 145 because she's a naturally bigger woman. Man, it, it did not show. Nunez, her timing on her strikes is so incredible, man. Like, she just hits you right at the end of her free reach. And she's got a long reach for her um, her uh, body body size. And she just drops hammers on you everything every time she hits you. I thought Cyborg was the one who hits the hardest amongst all the women fighters. But, my God, I think Nunez might have the belt. Like, she's just, oh, with the timing of it and everything, too. And I think Cyborg, when she just kept getting starts, she got hit a couple times. And I don't think she... It, like, didn't click in her head to, like, switch up the tactics or anything because she just kept staying open and staying in Amanda Nunez's range. And she didn't switch it up. It, I think she probably got flustered and, like, uh, she's probably surprised by the power that she had because it seemed like she just, like they say, man, you, you have a plan, but, it, you know, a lot of things change once you get hit in the face. And it's kind of what happened there, man, because, oh, my God, Nunez just, like, took her out under two minutes. I, I did not see that happening at all, like, championship title fight like oh my goodness that was you know hats off to her that was unreal that was such an impressive display of uh of what happened there man that was that was crazy but uh yeah man the, uh, the other fight that the main fight that happened on there was uh john jones and alex gustafson jones just dominated gustafson in that one knocked him out it was a i think a, a, a tko um, on the ground and pound. Yeah, John Jones, when he's ready to go, mentally, physically, there, I don't think there's anything stopping this dude, man. And uh, obviously, it's going to be like the main controversy is like the fight got moved from Vegas to to the the forum in Inglewood, all because of the damn controversy with him and the drug and the doping and dope tests and everything like that. Apparently, he had some. Uh, metabolites from uh, a substance that he was suspended for initially in the past it uh came up on a test uh right before his um his fight pretty much in the process of his training camp while he was cutting weight so they're saying that this metabolite apparently um i was, re- I was listening to the jeff Nowitzki, the main guy for usada and the ufc uh talking to joe rogan about it and so they're saying that they they, they believe the metabolites stick around in like the fatty tissue in your organs. And so when you start cutting weight, um, you start breaking down a lot of that fatty tissue um, in your body. And so apparently the like the tiniest bit of this uh, 
the substance uh, came out in the drug tests because he was taking drug tests before and after the fight, um, and this little substance wasn't showing up. Granted, it's also a long-term metabolite, so this is something that stays in your system for could be years even, uh, potentially. Because the the there's two other metabolites. There's one for like uh, medium, the mid range time, and there's one for like uh, more like close range time. So they know if you took it like recently, you know maybe months back, or even longer. So there hasn't been like any other definitive study on this uh, particular substance because it's illegal to obtain. And so the only person who apparently did a study was the the same doctor from uh icarus the documentary on netflix i re highly recommend i think it's uh what was the doctor uh something krachenko or something like that um hold on i'll find it icarus doctor movie doctor uh dr grigory rodchenkov that's his name. Uh, yeah, this guy has had a crazy life. But apparently he did a study. He self-dosed himself um, on uh, the substance thing. Terinobol is what it is. And uh, But Terinobol is like something that is, uh, you know, uh, a steroid that is used a lot in like the bodybuilding world. And John Jones for a minute was like uh, kind of in those uh, the, 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 that had ties to there a few years ago when he was under suspension. So... Potentially, he could have taken something, maybe without even his knowing, um, back then, and uh, could have just stayed up in the system. So that's like I think what happened there. They didn't want to get him on double jeopardy, so that's why they didn't want to, uh, um, you know, suspend him again here too. And so it's like it's a very weird thing because you got other people like talking shit on him and all that stuff. But yeah, John Jones, he's gonna be fighting Anthony Lionheart Smith in their next fight, and I'm actually pretty excited for that because Anthony Smith, I've been. I've seen his come up for the last like year and a half, two years now through the UFC, and he's just been rolling through guys. Like uh, they've been giving him a lot of the older dudes who've been kind of at the end of their contract. Um, I know. Let me see who did, who did he take out? Um, let me bring this guy, uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith. Let's see here. Yeah, he's had a good record, and he's a salty veteran too. He's been around Bellator. Strike Force, and he finally caught um, a uh, um, some win streak. He's thirty-one and thirteen overall record. He's thirty years old, man. So he's like a new guy in terms of like on the scene, but he's been fighting for, for a while, man. Um, and he's got some, whoo, he's got some cannons, man. Uh, he can knock the crap out of you for sure. Let's see his record here. Uh, recent record. Oh, no, that's way back in the day. Here we go. Here we go. He's on, uh, what's his win streak? Three fright win streak. Uh, he's won one, two, three, six out of his last seven fights here. Um, yeah, he beat Elvis Mutapchik, Andrew Sanchez, and Hector Lombard. Hector Lombard, I think, was his most, um, uh, you know, big win there at the UFC fight night. He did lose to he did lose to Tiago Santos um Macheta, which is a uh, mallet in uh Portuguese. Uh that dude's got some cannons too, man. He knocked the crap out of you. So he had that loss there, but then came back 
starch Rashad Evans. Oh man, made him he dropped him so hard. Um, and then had another impressive victory over uh, Shogun Mauricio Hua. Uh, knocked him out also too. And then this last victory he had was over Volkan Ozdemir, who was uh, in the the contention there for the light heavyweight title. Ozdemir last fought against uh, um, DC when he was still fighting at light heavyweight last year and uh, ended up losing to him pretty damn convincingly. Um, um, but yeah, so Anthony Lionheart Smith has been on this uh, pretty good run. He's gone a couple performance of the night bonuses, and so he's going to be fighting um, John Jones. So it'll be like... Uh, David versus Goliath type matchup because uh, Anthony Smith has been, you know, in and out of different organizations versus uh, John Jones, who's the poster boy pretty much now, uh, like the greatest of all time conversation. So that's very interesting, interesting to see. Anyway, we'll switch topics here uh, off of the sports world and start talking. Um, some Some other news. Uh, in the comedy world, man, we got Pete Davidson was back doing some stand-up. Good to see he's back. Um, don't ever want to see anybody deal with uh, um, the pressure. I've had a lot of. I want to. I don't want to. I'll like say for my instance, I have not had like a tenth of the success of what Pete Davidson has had uh, in his career, doing anything that I've ever done. Uh, and I still have depressive thoughts and, and stuff like that. So it's like pressure probably even more crazy for him he put something about like not wanting to be here potential suicide watch and stuff uh um posting about a uh, month ago so towards the end of december and he was put on hiatus for snl but now he's back to his stand-up i know he think he was on some skits recently for snl he came back and was like shitting on louis though man he came at him hard um a bit and uh because louis back doing stand-up and he did a set at a small club that got leaked, which is, uh, I guess, unfortunate for him. But I think even more unfortunate was that some of the jokes weren't necessarily hitting. And the topics that he was talking about were pretty damn controversial, which kind of goes with Louis M.O. if you know his comedy. Like, I feel like a lot of people that are shitting on Louis don't necessarily are familiar, aren't familiar with his comedy, per se. And they don't know that he kind of, like, dabbles in that those realms of uh, a lot of the gray area stuff. But... Um, you gotta let comments be able to like work on their own stuff. They gotta be able to fail at a certain times. And he did get some laughs, and I do understand the premises of some of the jokes and stuff. Um, obviously, I don't think it came out the best way, and, and that's what comedy is there for. That's what the clubs are for. It's supposed to be like your gym, it's your training ground. It's like one of the only professions where you have to like do it live and figure out the crowd reaction to see if it if it works or not. Everything else you can kind of routine, you know, do. A, um, practice performance by yourself or, you know, with the group, you know, in private. Here, you got to do it all public, so it's a different different world. And he did it at a small club, and you got to, people got to be able to, like, work their shit out. I understand that. It's just, uh, yeah, man. Uh, I think Louis fucked up, but he's not the worst fuck up that we've seen here, and he gets thrown in with a lot of people who are way worse human beings than he is, I would say, in the scale of things, grand scheme of things. Uh, granted, no excuse for him being skeevy, but at least it was like some of the allegations, I guess the most like shocking allegations are still stuff that people, I guess, to a certain extent consented to. I mean, if I ask you if I want to jerk off in front of you and you agree to say yes, then that's one thing. If you say no and I still do it, then that's a completely different thing in my opinion. But uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. That's his. That's his kink, I guess. He's kind of like got a. He's. That's another thing about his stick is he's like a weird, like awkward, like sexually and like frustrating and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people like, uh, you know, attach themselves to him, especially on the show, the way he presented himself. And it's just like, a lot of the stuff I kind of got, understood like where his mindset was, and because I'm I'm partly a degenerate too. I think everybody is in a certain their own ways, but. Yeah, like that's uh, I think there's a lot of connections with that, especially like a lot of people who are like uh, teens to 20 males who maybe um, not the best luck in life and things like that because you see his frustrations and how awkward stuff is and things of that nature. He he demonstrated a lot of that shit on his show, and so he kind of like worked in that realm, like I was saying, but uh, yeah, man, um, really shitting on him. He was like um talking about how uh he had a couple tattoos that he's gotten of certain people um pop culture references and like two of them that he gotten that were like the people who were involved with like passed away right after i think it was like was i can't remember the first one the second one is, is he got a, like a willy wonka tattoo and gene wilder died like the next day no like his joke was like man i think the next tattoo i should get is of louis <laughs> um and he was saying that, like, in the past, he would uh, put Aziz Ansari in his place for that joke. But uh, as apparently Aziz has been nice to him recently or something. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a weird place we're in because it's like uh, you can score brownie points for, like, portraying or to, like, some some people, you know, uh, wanted to, like, really, you know, come hard on these people who have made mistakes. But at the same time, you can get backlash from people within their own, like, uh comedy community um who are like man what the fuck why are we cannibalizing our own man that's just not cool i get it man i get it from both sides it's just uh it's interesting to play out man and uh they apparently had some beef in the past too because i know that uh when i was reading uh louis apparently had like some uh bad words about seeing pete davidson uh because davidson's got like crohn's disease so he's got uh, a prescription to go smoke weed all the time i think um, I think that helps him with this condition. And he was smoking a ton of pot when Louis was hosting SNL like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And he had said something about, man, this guy's going to smoke his career away. All he does is smoke. He just makes people feel awkward. And he had some complaints about him. And so I think Pete Davidson was kind of like, you know what? Fuck you then. Um, and so they, uh, yeah, they, they're kind of not on the same terms or whatever. It is what it is, man. People are people. Uh, moving on, uh, still in the comedy world, Kevin Hart still not doing the Oscars. Uh, there was a push this last week to try to get him back on the on the scene because uh, I don't think we've talked about this. This kind of dropped right after my last uh, podcast, but uh, he was billed to host the Oscars, and then people went on Twitter and started you know pulling up a lot of his old tweets and stuff like that. He was making some jokes about his son being gay or whatever, uh, playing with toys. Maybe about like eight years ago or so. It's a long time ago now. These old, old tweets. These are tweets, mind you, that he had already apologized for in the past. And he like basically, I don't know if he like apologized this time, but he basically said like, look, I already like said my piece. Like it is what it is. Like I don't have to say too much more. Like I'm not going to dwell on it because I've already addressed it. And so certain people got really upset about that. They're like, what do you mean you already addressed it? You should always, you know, you should keep, you know, talking about it, et cetera, et cetera. You should do this. You should do that, whatever. So he got a lot of flack for that, and uh, they took him off the, the bill. And 
Oscar's got some flack for it. They haven't been able to find anybody else that wants to do it. And a lot of people have come to Kevin Hart's defense about that. But this last week, he went on uh, a lot of uh, uh, media tours. He does media obligations for his uh, new movie that he's doing, that he's coming out with Brian Cranston. Went on Ellen. Ellen tried to uh, stump for him to keep doing to get it back. And yeah, I guess it's not do- going through now. And apparently, the Oscars might not have a host this year. And to be honest with you, who really cares? In my opinion, I don't necessarily watch the Oscars anymore. I've watched them in years past, but it's not necessarily something that's like. I have to sit down and see because uh, to be quite honest with you, like so many of these damn movies, like I don't see or get the upper chance, opportunity or the chance to like actually watch them. So it's like I don't really have a horse in the race. So it's like whatever the results, I can read about them the next day. And even then, a lot of times the winners, I still don't see a lot of the movies afterwards. And uh, yeah, that's just me, though. Like my movie watching habits are kind of weird. So um, yeah, that's uh it's kind of the mo there, but uh, anyway, that's what a lot of other people are saying. Like, who really gives a fuck, you know? Ultimately, but uh, but yeah, it is what it is. All right, and let's move on to things that make you go, hmm. Like, for instance, number one, this is now week. Uh, what are we in? Is this week three now of the government shutdown? For the past two weeks, this is now I think the longest shutdown on record. Um, yeah, national parks I've been reading about have been getting really destroyed. It's a lot of shit everywhere, garbage everywhere. It's not getting cleaned up. And there was some damage to some, uh, Joshua trees out in Joshua Tree, which is, uh, not good. There was rumors that they were going to shut down the park, but I think they were able to, to not do a complete shutdown because people are working on furloughed pavements. Um, you know, um, people are, uh, you know, waiting on that back pay, all their bills are coming due, people can't pay their rent, people missed their first check this last Friday um, since the shutdown began, and it's just like, it's crazy, because you got the Democrats finally trying to hold it firm now that they have control of the uh, um, Senate, I want to say, or the House, they got one of the, the branches of government, I always forget which one, but now they got one of the branches of government, they have like one way to like... Uh, um, object what what Trump wants so it can't just get fast tracked through, and that's basically what they're doing. So Trump was like, you know what, I want a spending bill, but I want five billion dollars to build the wall. And the Democrats are like, why are we giving you all that money for? That's not necessary. Um, and so that's been the main issue and the main hiccup. And Trump wants to just you know cross his arms and say, I ain't budging until you guys do that. So yeah, man, the shutdown keeps moving. Democrats are look like they're standing firm right now. They've uh, passed uh, legislation in their side of the uh, controlled Congress to keep the bills, you know, spending bills up and running. Like they've had different bills for different organizations, um, um, like to get them, you know, back pay and things like that. And they're trying to convince a lot more of the Republicans to just accept these smaller bills uh, to keep the government up and running again. But ultimately, it needs Trump's signature. So um, from what I've heard, he hasn't been willing to sign these these uh, small bills that have been uh, pushed across. and or conv- I don't think they've gotten enough Republicans to flip either, too. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Um, for the last thing I read a few days ago, $438 million in home payments are owed as of the 11th of uh, January. So that's three days ago. 
So yeah, we're probably over $500 million of home payments that haven't been uh, made just because people haven't been getting paid. TSA workers are calling in sick in mass, which I'm really glad I flew uh, when I did, because if it would have been like a few days later, man, I don't know, would have been a little worse morale and stuff like that. They ain't even going to be patting the motherfuckers down. They're just going to start waving fools in, just like whatever. Because uh, they ain't, I mean, for real though, like, they ain't, they're not getting paid, man. That's like, that's tough to like tell yourself that like, all right, I got to work for two weeks with no paycheck and then put everything on credit card bills. And the U.S. government put out a template to send for people to talk to their landlords about all that shit about um uh <laughs> what excuses they can give them uh to like and hold off on and get their money to them at some point but it's crazy man and it's just uh there's a lot of people who are are furloughed and just not working right now and it's tough can't pay for daycares and stuff like that people are turning to uber drivers and it's just uh it's not good it's not good man um gotta get people up and running uh and moving forward so i think this is a well we should be now the longest um government shutdown on record it's pretty damn crazy hopefully that gets resolved sometime soon it's gonna take one of two things either trump's gonna budge or the democrats gonna budge is pretty much it and i think right now it's more likely that uh I don't, honestly, I don't know what's going to happen because Trump, like, you know, you would think like, you know, you know, human nature would say Trump will probably be most likely to budge, but Trump is not a normal human. So he's a narcissistic asshole that wants to be right every time. So he won't take a loss intentionally ever, 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 ever. So it's going to be tough. We'll see what happens. Anyway, moving on. Uh, more chaos on the southern border. Yay. Involving that, uh, that whole, uh whole craziness with the the fucking wall so yeah sick i saw that there was there's been uh the whole talk about the, the migrant caravan coming across and a lot of people seeking asylum from central america but um yeah man we got problems in terms of the processing um uh the whole process of how people the the, um, the immigrants are processed through the asylum program whatever whatever terminology you want to use um yeah in the past like people they would uh since there's a lot of migrants that they'll they'll get released from like uh border patrol or homeland security whoever like can you know once they they get them they round them up like on the border they say they want to apply for asylum okay the typical response was they would be released and they would be allowed to um you know maintain residency while their uh case is being processed uh, but prior to being released they would a lot of times inform a lot of the local charities in the area so that they could provide them housing or assistance or places you know place where they could you know help them look for housing or jobs in the meantime while their uh, you know asylum cases being processed well over christmas right around christmas time there was like a week or two week period where like 16,000 1600 1600 migrants were left on the streets and released without being notified like without the local communities being notified the non-profits um so around Christmas time in El Paso, right near the border there in Texas, uh, with uh, Nogales, and uh, or is it Ciudad Juarez? Um, anyway, on one of the border areas right there. But yeah, man, that's just like cruel and just like unnecessary to leave people out on the street in the cold right there around Christmas time and stuff without anywhere really to go. So that just uh, 
Yeah, it didn't put a good taste in my mouth when I read that news. It's like, man, we could do better. It's not a good example of how we should treat others. Um, yeah, man, it's a, it's a challenge. And I just didn't think that was a good good call there. Um, they just went outside of protocol to do that, too. It was like the, the, the leaders and like some of the organizations were saying, like, yeah, now we're scrambling. We're uh, paying for people to stay in like hotel rooms and stuff like that. So now they're footing the bill. Where, I mean, if they just would have let them know, like, hey, we'll give you a week's notice even. Like, that's not a lot of time, but it's a lot more than having just, boom, having to figure out to deal with it after the fact. So that really sucked, in my opinion. Another thing that kind of sucked, too, is, like, uh, um, we had some tear gas on in Tijuana on New Year's. There was some, uh, some uh, uh, migrants that were trying to cross over the border because they thought that... Uh, they wouldn't they'd be lax a little bit more um because it was new year's i thought people would be off duty or maybe partying and wouldn't be paying attention nope didn't happen they motherfuckers got tear gassed over there um so as they try to climb the fence or go off into the water so uh that wasn't good there for them um but yeah another thing that i saw too is like they had like the uh, prototype fences that uh, trump was gonna be built um with like steel slabs steel slates not fence i guess uh not a wall, but a fence. Um, and they showed that there were some vandals that came in and actually, like, chopped up, like, two pieces of steel so you can fit through it. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? I'm wasting all this money for, like, something that's going to be ineffective. Other thing that I was reading about, too, is they, they found another tunnel um, down by the border. Um, I think it was in Arizona. Um, maybe, yeah, I think it was in Arizona. And... Uh, yeah, I just basically highlighted the like on this. It was like the same day like the Trump was uh, was giving his speech to try to get rallying support for his for building the wall. It's just like highlights the idea of how the wall is useless because most of the drugs that are brought in are brought in either through the tunnels or legal ports of entry, which is would be like on on like uh, um, you know they'll smuggled it in through cars or vehicles. It's smuggled in through um, legitimate supplies, like inside of like, um, you know, trucks and things of that nature that go over the border that aren't inspected as, you know, as much as they need to. It's brought in on shipping containers from boats um, through international organizations. It gets snuck on there. And so a lot of stuff gets brought in that way. And uh, yeah, man, that just goes to show you like what the fuck's going on, man. And I guess another thing that I read too, on the same day, there was uh, um, two um, Army Green Berets who were arrested by the U.S. government because they got caught taking a U.S. military plane, uh, filling it. They had like two or three punching bags, like big heavy bags, filled with cocaine in it. And so like green, like Army Green Berets on a military plane with a bunch of cocaine. So they got uh, um, found and sentenced uh, recently. So that goes to show you where, like, the problem might actually be coming from. I mean, I know about, like, 10 years ago, there was also another, like, military plane that, like, crashed somewhere in Mexico and had, like, tons of cocaine, like, literal tons of cocaine. Um, And the pilots for the plane ended up, like, disappearing into the jungles and never found them or something like that. Like, it was crazy. And they tracked down the plane using the number and everything, and it was a military plane. So I know like that got some some attention years back, but uh, yeah, man, it's just kind of going along that uh, that same route there. 
Here was 90 pounds of cocaine is what they were caught with. One uh, million dollars on a military plane, man. And it's like, that's like pure stuff. You could step on it like and make another like 40% more of the profits at least. So like 70, 80% more profits depending on how much you cut the, the coke with. So like these fools can like step on it and chop that shit up and make a ton more money than even just that's what's estimated there. If they do it correctly, if you have the right like system and, and uh, connections in place, but that's freaking crazy, man. It's just uh, goes to show you, man. Like this war on drugs and the whole um, xenophobia we have with like immigrants coming is just like um, I don't think it's like uh, put in the right place per se, um, or it's concentrated in the right areas. But uh, to each their own, man. To each their fucking own. Uh, I guess moving on, uh, China has uh, sent some Land Rovers over to the dark side of the moon, and they're stepping up their efforts right now to uh, you know enter the space race. And uh, I was reading about this article about this uh, this, this rover landing. Um, first time anyone's going to be over there on that dark side of the moon um, to be able to like, send images and pictures and stuff like that to see what the hell's going on. So that's going to be really interesting, man. Really, really interesting. And uh, they're planning on creating their own international space station type uh, deal, but uh, just for themselves, and they're also planning on sending you know people to Mars and all this other stuff. They have some crazy plans moving forward into the future. So it's kind of crazy that China's taking the lead on a lot of that stuff, but uh, like the space um, exploration. Um, so we'll see where the U.S. government's going to be in all that because they've kind of stepped back in terms of like government funding for like NASA and things of that nature, but. It's been it's been turned more into private government contracts to people like SpaceX um, to to kind of like outsource some of the um, technology development and like some of the like the scientific breakdown break uh, breakthroughs and all the testing and of the the rocket launches and things of that nature, um, which was cool. Like some of the uh, one of the companies I used to work with was like somewhat related with them, so I was, I was able to see a little bit of uh, some of the launches. Not too, I didn't work particularly with them at that account but it was, uh, it was interesting to see for sure the relationship that they had and to see where they're they're progressing and moving forward but uh yeah that's uh we'll see what happens because i know amazon's uh founder uh jeff bezos uh he's got his blue origin company starting up too and they're getting going and i think they're gonna start testing some rockets this year also so we'll see how that that progresses and we'll see how that gets affected because jeff bezos just announced his divorce from his longtime wife recently she was uh sleeping with somebody else who was like apparently somebody he used to like have a working relationship with which is like damn 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 bro going for it but anyway uh his ex-wife is now going to be one of the richest women in the world if they go through with the divorce settlements and all that because he didn't have a prenuptial agreement so Ooh, we'll see man that's a that's a lot of drama going on there I know was just, that shit just dropped a few days ago, but yeah, Jeff Bezos, that's uh, that's crazy, man. He's uh, still one of the top five richest men of the world, even with half his earnings. That's just so fucking crazy, man. That's so crazy. Uh, no pity for him, man. <laughs> no pity, man. He's done his work. He's done his shit. He's freaking crazy. Taking over the world. He's taking over grocery stores and Whole Foods and shit. It's like... Insane, in fucking insane. Uh, anyway, moving on. Another interesting topic that I saw there 
Uh, no, nah, we'll flip it around. We'll do this uh, this one here. Johnson & Johnson saw an article about how the talks about they're going to raise their drug prices, maybe like 5%, 5 to 10%, I think is the number. Uh, don't quote me on that one. But drug prices were raised on like a lot of uh, their popular drugs on the same day that there was new uh, laws that were put into place to try to stymie uh, drug companies from like overcharging their customers on their products and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, Johnson Johnson, man, that's like a little shiesty maneuver there you're trying to do, man. It's like, uh, um, because yeah, a lot of these drug companies are really against uh, the generics coming out and being available because it, you know, tax their bottom line, but it's. It's crazy, man. Like work, like uh, working with the pharmaceutical industry and like the governments, like um, in this country, it's like a tricky game that you got to play because you're relying upon these companies to keep developing new new drugs and things of that nature. So they will say that they need the money for investment and research sort uh, for that stuff like that. But uh, at the same time, you got to like. Uh, be wary of like the greed that might grow when you have like a any corporation any business that's like making money hand over fist it's uh it's always going to be a concern and that's just always going to be there uh especially when it in relation to uh something that's like uh as uh important as like people's health and livelihood like uh and they have different medical conditions that you know are relying upon these uh these cures and medicines to uh to survive pretty much it's uh it could be a tricky slope man you gotta uh balance kind of both sides of that issue there um it's no doubt in my mind that uh, drug prices are pretty damn outstanding where they're at now and a large portions of populations are struggling to pay for stuff um since uh you know healthcare is uh pretty much a private industry in, in this country um and uh yeah that's kind of how it is at the moment so you know, people paying majority of their income for stuff like that just to kind of keep medication around just so they can be, you know, in a good place physically, mentally, and all that stuff. But it's uh, it's tough, man. It's tough. Um, yeah, it's like... Uh, I do feel like we need to have uh, more oversight over this, this industry. But... Um, Cause like sometimes I don't know I don't I don't take their their word for uh, for being bond. I know that they had like the government bailout for a lot of like big corporations um, or not bailout but like the tax breaks that they got last year. A lot of corporations didn't use that money to reinvest it in their their workers or in their um, in their research. I know for instance there was. Uh, it might have been Johnson Johnson. They they shut down one of their cancer research wings, um, and used the money and savings that they had to pay back their uh, shareholders, which is like their obligation as like a, a, a you know publicly owned company. Um, but at the same time, that's not the best message that you send to your consumers. That uh, we're more interested in, uh, you know taking care of the shareholders than we are in terms of finding actual cures to like these, uh, these problems that ail the, the population. So that's something of a concern in my mind. It's just like you kind of see happening day to day. 
And as like uh, somebody who has like, uh, you know, people who are, you know, family members that are aging and, and on medications and stuff like that, I see the burden of that, that uh, the price boost might have, you know, on certain people. So my dad included because he's like type 2 diabetes, diabetic. So he has to have his, his medication um, or else like his insulin levels drop. So, yeah, it's a tricky, tricky world we uh, we live in. So. Yep. And anyway, we'll uh, wind it with this one here. Uh, another cool article I saw here. The Temple of the Flayed Lord found in Popoloca, Indian ruins in Puebla with the, the god Shipitotec. It was, um, uh, that's the name of the god in Mixteca, I think is the language. Um, anyway, yeah, they found this temple out in Puebla. And like the craziness about this temple is is uh, they uh, there was... Um, uh, like a deity like a, a a stone image that was created of uh this um this god Shipe, Shipe, uh, Shipe and this god was uh thought of as um a god of sacrifice that you um um and like fertility and so they would uh, give human sacrifices like in the name of this god this uh the people the, the natives who lived in the area and so what they would do is they would literally take the skin off of like a rival um, after they had like uh, sacrificed their their life, and they would wear the skin over like their their body as like a, a cloak to like symbolize that you know um, I can't remember what it was, but it was like an offering. It was a way for them to show that like look, this is what we've done for you. Uh, like for the god so like please give us fertility and keep us going um but yeah it's uh and that was pretty out there so they found an image of like uh um this guy wearing the skin of another rival they saw it because they saw that there was like another arm dangling off the side um to make it look like he had you know the full skin over him so like that whole revelations and all that stuff and reading about that, I'm like, damn, my fucking ancestors were crazy like that. We were about it, about it. Like the human sacrificing and stuff, like that shit is just that shit just seems insane. And from like if you think about it now, wearing somebody else's skin, how fucking crazy is that? What kind of mental like place do you need to be in to just be like, yo, this this is our culture, this is what we fucking do, son. Putting other dudes' heads on stakes and stuff, man. Freaking crazy. Crazy, 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 man. But uh, that just goes to show you, like, a lot of the stories and uh, traditions that you have of, like, all the, the, like, the Native people of Latin America doesn't get bought up a lot. Because, like, this story was new to me. I knew, like, human sacrifices and all that stuff like that. But it was cool that they found the temple and they were able to kind of, like, you know, piece together a lot of that that history. And... Um, that tradition because a lot of it did get lost when the Spaniards came over and kind of forced everybody into Christianity and they burned oh I mean a lot of tradition was oral it wasn't passed down because not a lot of stuff was written or like etched in stone per se and some of the stuff that was got destroyed a lot of the ruins were no longer um but yeah it's just crazy world we live in man crazy fucking world I guess one last thing that I just saw right here on my phone, breaking news, uh, Kyler Murray, the Oakland A's draft prospect, number first round draft pick from uh, last year, is now, uh, he's also a quarterback for University of Oklahoma, led his team to the college football playoffs. 
is going to enter the NFL draft. So it looks like he's going to try to play uh, football um, as well, which is um, might be first round draft pick. A lot of talk as to whether he should, you know, play baseball or football. Excuse me. He's already got a uh, guaranteed contract from the Oakland A's, but apparently the A's were talking to him saying, if you decide not to uh, enter the draft, we're going to renegotiate and give you more money. But now it looks like Kyler, uh, it looks like he's going to be in the NFL draft, man. He, he might be another team's court signal caller over the start of next season, so... I kind of don't blame him for choosing football. It's a more direct path to like stardom and playing time uh, at the top level. MLB, you still got to work yourself through the uh, um, the minor league ranks, and there's no guarantee that you're going to make it either. Injuries, all that other stuff too. So this is pretty interesting, man. I'm uh, I'm uh, concerned as an A's fan because I wanted him to see him play in uh, the green and gold. But, you know, as like a football fan in general, I'm I understand it. I understand that. So that's interesting stuff there. In any event, man, it's been a long time coming. This is a. It's been a. Uh, it's been a long show here. Well, uh, it was good to catch up with you guys, man. It's been a minute. I'm gonna try to get these going a lot more consistently because my ass is just lazy as fuck sometimes, and so yeah, I'm trying to not do that anymore. But. Um, But yeah, anyway, we'll uh we'll close this out. We'll get you a little outro. We'll play some uh Pusha T, the games we play off of his last album, Daytona. So once again, this has been episode forty-four. Signing off. Till next time. Peace. Hasta luego. Ain't a wave or a phase, cause all that shit fades. This lifestyle's forever when you made. They tweet about the length I made them wait. What the fuck you expect when a nigga got a cape and he's great? Ovens full of cakes that he bakes. Still spreading paste. The love just accentuates the hate. This is for my bodybuilding clients moving weight. Just add water, stir it like a shake. Play amongst the stars like the roof in the wraith. Get the table next to mine, make our bottle servers race. These are the games we play, we are the names they say. This is the drug money your ex nigga claim he makes. To all of my young niggas, I am your ghost in your rage. This is my purple tape, save up for rainy days. And baby mama wishes.